Hello! Welcome to Tanked Up, the podcast all about craft beer and video games. There's no Ben! Uh, I'm your host, Adil, and I'm joined as ever by Lucy. When was the last time Ben wasn't here? It's been a while. Yeah, it's. I. I it might have happened <laughs> once in the summer. Other than that, it must have been mm. in the in the before times. When was the last train wreck? Ah. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, all of the time, and then Ben stops us. Um, <laughs> but also, we've got two special guests here today with us uh, from Bitrot Games. We've got Curtis. Hello. And Chad. Hello. And he, they're here, of course, to talk to craft beer and video games. So let's first crack into some drinks. Um, so, Chad, you've got a big smile on your face. What do you What do you got uh, What do you got for us today? All right. So I got a beer. Um, it's called Damnation. It's from Russian River. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever heard of Russian nice. River. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So this is um, it's, it's interesting. I haven't had this beer, I think, in like ten years. It's it's been quite a, a long time. <laughs> um, they're up in Santa Rosa in the Bay Area, and I, I used to Curtis and I used to live up in in Oakland. So we we used oh, to okay. go out to to Russian River, and I, that's like the last time I've I've had it. But just recently, we got a a bunch of Russian River beers, and this is one of them and it's a uh, strong uh, belgian pale ale so it's going to be something kind of like a, a duval or something like this um mm-hmm. it's nice it's been a while since i've had it if i remember correctly it's going to be a bit on the lighter end for a, a, a strong belgian pale ale i mean you know as light as like a seven and a half percent beer can be um but yeah let's uh i guess i'll just crack it open now see how this goes yeah yeah for sure um while you crack it open, Curtis, I know you're a bit under the weather. What, or do you have a beverage that you're drinking today? <laughs> I do have a beverage. <laughs> um, I have a nice tea. It has honey and lemon. And the only thing I know about the tea is that it's some kind of Chinese black tea. But the exact name of it, I, I don't know, unfortunately. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean... Tea is, yeah, I mean, you're speaking of two people who live in the UK, so tea works just fine. Um, <laughs> we actually used to yeah. live there, Dad and I. Oh, really? Uh, yep. For uh, three years. Yeah, I lived in Brighton. So Chad, was in, Chad was in Sorry. Brighton, and yeah. I was in London. I was in Dalston for about three oh, okay. years. And what were you guys doing there? Uh, well, we were doing school, so we were both doing PhD programs. But Chad was doing, oh, we were at two different places. Somehow both ended up in England now. <laughs> Did you know each other b- before? Well, we're I mean, we're, we're twin brothers. Oh, that, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a good old brain flower. We haven't even opened um, the beer yet. We, we, we have yeah, history. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were separated at birth and this and is their first time meeting now, UK. actually. Yeah. Who are you? Um, You've stolen my so name. So what were the PhDs in? Mine yeah, was in music informatics. Uh, Curtis's—I oh, cool. uh, forget your exact title. What, what it was? I just say, yeah, 
computer music. Computer so. music, yeah, is, is maybe yeah. The, the simplest way to put it. So kind of the merging of um, music with technology and, and computational creativity and this kind of stuff, generative music, procedural. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lucy, what do you got? I'm, I think it's the only beer that oh. I have in the house. <laughs> uh, I am ah, drinking. Ah, one of those days. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking a Pomona Island. Um, and this is a collaboration with Northern Monk. Uh, and it's called Cancion Mixteca. It's a, uh, Imperial Churro Stout. Um, uh, I'll read a bit of flavor text that's on the back. Uh, this is an Imperial Churro Stout, sweet burnt sugar notes with lots of chocolatey cacao nibs and a touch of cinnamon. Uh, oh land of sunshine, I sigh for to see you. Um, what's the strength? Where is it? 11%. So hmm. this may last <laughs> some time. So yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, well, while you crack into that, uh, I have a special week this week because uh, it was my birthday a couple weeks ago and I got given beers and I've been holding on to them because I don't know if you've heard of Hiver, Lucy, but I hadn't. I have not. No. Uh, Hiver is um, – Hiver beers are a bee – so Hiver is a, a honey-based beer – thing uh but they their whole shtick is that they support bees so they even have a bee and beer experience which literally so the 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 flavor text doesn't talk about this blonde beer it does say come and visit the hiver bee and beer experience and get hands-on with beekeeping you'll learn about our work supporting british bees and how we make this award-winning fresh and natural blonde beer brewed with a touch of honey it's the crisp, refreshing taste of Hiver and our sustainable approach to brewing great beer that makes it feel like summer all year long. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of these guys. No, that, that sounds really cool. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, what style was that? It's not. I, I just kept it, thinking so, mead, 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 mead. No, no, it's a, it's a. So it's a blonde, <laughs> yeah. but with with some honey in in the mix as well. Oh, okay. Right. That, yeah. that makes sense. Um, I I actually have homebrewed for a long time, and whenever you add a lot of like pure sugar to beer it actually dries it out it makes the yeast like eat more mm-hmm. into the beer so it makes sense that yeah. it's like a lighter style yeah um yeah so it's 4.5 percent uh and it was given to me by my partner's mom cheers hey, bernie nice. that's pretty cool um yeah yeah <laughs> happy birthday uh, it was just a just like a beer uh that's one of the Better few things socks for presents so. yeah i mean I've, I've 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 only had like two one hour conversations with her so and she knows it, that that to buy you beer it, so it, it turns out right i'm, I'm easy to buy for when people are just like yeah dill the beer guy and i'm like is it a yeah. problem that my partner's family and friends just know that i drink that's like the only thing. Cool. Um, but yeah, I also she also handmade me beer bunting, which I forgot to put up before this episode. Um, which is just, you know, a nice touch of, oh, wow, you went overboard and I feel really <laughs> weird about this. I mean, not really, but it's just like, oh, that was way too sweet. Let's hope oh, this bless. isn't. Um, <laughs> sounds like a keeper. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to look into that brew. Yeah, more. so I've while I it. pour, let's, let's circle back and uh, tell us how the damnation is. Yeah. So, I mean, for soldiers... Talk about the aroma, which is already like it's it's been so long. I don't remember it being this intensely malty just off the the smell alone, mm. but 
that also the a lot of like uh clove and i would say like oh breadiness a bit of fruit so like maybe like a banana spices yeah it's it smells amazing actually um nice it's like coppery in color mm -hmm. yeah it's got a it's got a nice kind of i would say like it's not super pale but it's not super dark either so kind of nice golden copper and yeah the flavor is man i like this a lot more than i remember i remember the first time i had it i i thought it was too much banana flavor and i'm not big on banana but mm -hmm. having it again now yeah the malt is a lot stronger than our river and it's got like it's this intense malty bready sweetness that complements mm. the kind of like i would say uh the kind of uh the clove the spice and banana the banana i would say it's not it's not there's also some apricot in there too so it's 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 definitely like a mix nice that sounds great yeah mm. Yeah, I love it. You guys it's are making me good. jealous over here. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's it's seven and a half percent. You said seven and a half percent. Yeah. Does it taste very yeah. boozy, or is it is it like masked by the? No. Uh, although the to be fair, this has been aged for like a year, so it's it's been okay uh, sitting there in, in cast condition uh, yeah. for a, for a little while. So it's it's not super hot. Nice. Uh, any, anything remarkable to tell us about the tea there, Curtis? Uh, it's just exactly what I need right now. <laughs> I, I mean, perfect. That's what we want from all our beverages. Yeah. Oh, look at that, Lucy. That that looks yeah. nice and dark. Yeah. Um, when I when I started pouring it, it was it looked a bit like an oil slick, but uh, to be fair, heads, you know, yeah, you poured it about probably about one finger, like kind of like foamy head, but. Stuck around as well, so it's a good looking bit. Um, smell wise, I think you're getting probably a bit more fruit on the aroma rather than the chocolate. Um, like sort of like uh, maybe cherries, cherries on the aroma. Mm. Yeah, but um, I mean, you can't it doesn't smell strong, even though 11%, we'll see. <laughs> I mean that's always a nice thing when you hit, when it's not it doesn't smell boozy. That carries through to the taste a lot, you know. There's 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 a lot of that like kind of like cherry on the taste. Um it's it's, it's actually kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just expect like um thick dark malt chocolate oh. and everything like that. And you are getting that, but I think like on the front of the taste, and even carrying through to the finish, you are getting like like sweet cherry. Um, it's it's sort of like a uh, black forest gato. That's oh, okay, what it tastes like so not like not sweet cherry like maraschino cherries, not like a a punch or like a hit of sweetness. Um, kinda, you know, like oh. I am getting that. I am getting a lot of um. I don't know if my taste buds are off or I'm complaining things, but I'm, I'm definitely getting like a lot of fruit on it, which which gives it like this kind of like uh, not all the way tartness, but kind of like refreshingness, like and just it doesn't feel heavy. I mean, as I've been talking, I can feel like the alcohol burning, like it warming after a while. So you can definitely tell it's an eleven percent beer after a couple of seconds, mm -hmm. but. Um, 
I think it, it it stops it being like kind of oily and like slick. Um, just that kind of fruit in the flavour, just giving a bit of a refreshment. But it's it's a strong one. <laughs> it's 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 definitely growing. Um, the more I talk, so yeah, it's <laughs> gonna be sipping on this quite slowly. But um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice, as I say, like like Black Forest Ghetto, like kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's a good beer. One thing oh, I no. wish I, that I don't know about the. Mm. Now carry on. I was just going to say one thing that I I have seen some breweries do that I wish more would do. Uh, this is a bit geeky, mm-hmm. but sometimes they'll actually print the original gravity and the finishing gravity on the beer. And that's super interesting because yeah. you can find kind Hardly of see that now. like for a beer like that, that's like eleven and a half percent. That tells you, you it's big, but it might actually have like a lighter <laughs> mouthfeel to it if the finishing gravity is, yeah. is lower. Which adding fruit to the beer will will make it tend to finish like that light a bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, you could make yeah. the beer such yeah. that it's eleven and a half, but also it still has a bigger punch. So it'd be interesting to see kind of. Yeah, you you never see that on on cans like at most you maybe get like the IBU or something like that, and maybe the hops and uh, the malt um, uh, malt build, but like yeah, never hardly ever see gravity. I think like. Maybe too old, if I'm thinking correctly. Like, used to do uh, gravity on their cans, yeah. but yeah, seldom hey, see that. To be honest, like, uh, we see it a lot more in the UK, but um, I think when everyone moved to cans, they all kind of embraced the full art right. sort of approach because yeah. the can. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we all, I mean, it's also why we don't have a lot of flavor text anymore when it used to be, you know, you used to get a lot of stats for us beer nerds and then. Some flavor text and a bit about the brewery and and a picture, right? Um, and now we get like alcohol by volume and don't drive yeah. while pregnant. I mean, drink while pregnant or drive. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a controversial it doesn't statement. Even have like uh, malts or anything on yeah. it, but but yeah, in terms of like it being like a churro, not getting much of that cinnamon. Maybe as it warms up a bit, because I'm trying drinking it slightly a bit cold, so. Mm. Might see if anything else um, enters the flavour later, but yeah, not really getting the cinnamon too much at the moment. So, but yeah, it, it's it's sweet, but it, it's it's not overwhelmingly sweet because, I mean, as you know, Adil, I'm not a massive fan on sweet beers. I prefer yeah. it's a bit of bitterness, especially in like a stout to just car- you know counteract that you know sweetness in the alcohol a bit. But it's nice, it's good, excellent. Uh, I'm I'm jealous of both your beers because I've got um the opposite type of beer. It's just nice, clear. Look look how clear this is. You could practically see my eye through. Uh, if it wasn't for all the glare, um, through it, it's really clear, nice straw gold color. Uh, poured with basically this much head, so there's quite carbonated. It's been regrowing that head. Um. Uh, I mean, it smells like a blonde, but a little. I would say there's. It's more floral. I can't quite. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as strong as something like a jasmine, but there's definitely some a flowery note to to the nose, which is you know rounds out a, a little uh, a little more. Ooh, oh, that floral carries right through. Uh, I'm yeah. trying to figure out what that scent is. It's going to drive me nuts, but honey, 
Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. Uh, that was exactly it. Okay, I'm done. Funny. No, um, it's really crisp. Um, and what I really like about it, is, jumping off of what Lucy said, is you can taste that honey. Um, but that honey, the honey is more, like I said, lending a little more depth to it, giving a bit more floral uh, notes. But it still has a bitterness. Um, it still it finishes kind of dry in the mouth, um, or rather, it, it the bitterness makes you makes you feel like it's dry because actually my tongue is quite wet. It's not actually pulling um, uh, moisture out of my mouth, but it 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 fin- it's just got this peak of this little bit of bitterness that like isn't in your face, but it's just pulling everything back, and making me want to take another sip, uh, which is. The right amount. I, I, I um, regular listeners will know that I some. I one of my pet peeves is when a beer forces me to drink it again. This is more inviting me to have more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too dry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, and yeah. So that honey is sitting on top of a, and it's like this, like like a like an umbrella of sweetness. It's not really in the main flavor. It's kind of sitting on top, and it's not changing throughout. So. It's just this like light, light honey sweetness, kind of like if you, like, you and someone else are in the kitchen uh, at breakfast time, and they crack the honey on the other side, like beside you, and you get a whiff. It's like that's like the honey isn't super strong. It's just giving you that. Oh yes, there's now honey in my day kind of feel. That's good. Because yeah. uh, rarely see beers incorporate honey that well. Um, and like not a lot of brewers do it um, as well, especially on this yeah. side, side of the pond. Like, and like mead is, you know, almost mm. non-existent. These days, so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is like yeah. exactly the opposite of mead, where you know mm-hmm. it's those are honey forward for obvious reasons. This is like again, my first sips could tell had I noticed the floral before that umbrella of honeyness because it's just a really light touch to the brew, which is. Quite excellent. It was. I was a little worried for the same reason as you, Lucy. I don't really like super sweet beers, um, and this this has a sweetness. But again, it finishes like a night. It's crisp and it finishes with a bit of bitterness, uh, which is great. Um, I'm being yelled at by a feline, so I'm going to let it out of the room, <laughs> uh, uh, and then we'll continue. I'll write that down as a note, um, and then we can start chatting about your game, guys. Sounds cool. good. Any yes, yes. any notable. Beer, beer, um, honey beers over in the states, uh, or Midas Touch is the biggest one yeah. that I know of uh, by Dogfish Head. Okay. I don't know if you've had that one. Yes, I've I've not had them, but I've, I've definitely had um, heard of Dogfish. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I actually forgot good. about that until you said that. It's been God. It's probably been fifteen years since I've had that beer, uh, but it's <laughs> but it is quite supposedly. Good. I mean, supposedly, right? They got it from like some ancient Sumerian recipe, right? I don't know how <laughs> believable that is, but that's what they yeah. say. <laughs> I mean, uh, who was this? You know, a lot of it originates from. So any brewer could just say, "Yeah, no. Sumerian." Got it. Yeah, yeah. Got, you know, <laughs> yeah. Ninkasi or whatever, all this stuff. Yeah, just like yeah, we, we know we know the deal. We know the uh, recipes from ten thousand years ago. <laughs> We're talking about uh, honey beers, and if there were any notable ones over in the states. Oh, mm. oh yeah, there was one. Hmm? No, carry on. Uh, I was, I was, I was. I think I was gonna say, um, didn't we have? 
Didn't we have a honey bear at one point that you brought over or something? Or is that yeah, something else? possibly. Hmm. Maybe misremembering. Um, I'm trying to... Daya, uh, they, they don't do this recipe anymore. Um, I don't know if you two have heard of Daya up in Cheltenham. Um, so. They used to do um, a... I think it was a honey IPA, and it's probably the best honey-based beer, or beer with just honey in period, that I've ever tasted, and they don't do that recipe anymore, and it kills me all the time. Was it sweet? Yeah. Was it, like, sweet and bitter, just like, cow? Or is it integrated? Yeah, because, yeah, it was, it, it, it was, it had all the, you know, tenants of, it, like, a IPA, just, you know, they had that bitterness, but, but they, 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 they particularly do, like, very fruit-forward beers nowadays, and um, back then it was a bit more balanced with the bitterness, but yeah, just really straight that really good uh, balance between, like, being a juice bomb, which is, is always like, almost like the honey that had, like, this milkshake. I think it was a milkshake IPA, which is definitely not my favourite style of beer, and not one I'm a fan of usually, but it's just it just strokes such a good balance in between. Um, I could very juice forward but still bitter and um you know just good beer it's <laughs> really good beer and i miss it every day i still got like the can <laughs> just like gonna go up to up to the brewer one day and say just just make this just once <laughs> just for me <laughs> yeah my favorite fruit base or fruit incorporated beers are actually also from russian river i would say if, if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with them they're they're most known for their uh sour ales and so they all incorporate different Mm. fruits in them and my favorite from them is this beer called consecration which has uh, black currants in it and it's aged in um, wine barrels and it is uh, amazing it's it's hard to even completely (laughs) describe it but still to this day it's it's one of my absolute favorites yeah yeah i would agree i've never had a russian river beer i don't think and i've i'm just want one. Want yeah, me one. too. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the scene over there in America just seems crazy, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> you are for, like, hours or days. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> non-stop. Get, like, two cans. I, I will admit mm. that when I moved to the UK, I, I really enjoyed um, all the different beers I had not had access to before. But there was definitely a part of me that absolutely missed the, like, you know, craft beer scene in the U.S., yeah. especially at the time. I, th- I, I bet now there's, like, a lot more diversity over there. But this was, like, yeah, mm. like 10 years ago. So. Uh, but I remember quite oh, liking yeah. uh, Dark Star, and, and I believe it's Thornbridge, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about the thrill of the chase of getting, like, a beer that's, you know, not on general sale and... Mm-hmm hard to find and stuff like that so that was daya for me so it was but like they're much bigger now and they've got their canning line and everything so but yeah i'm glad they're around for, but yeah the front of the chase is gone uh i mean this is this is sort of the double-edged sword because the thriller chase also necessitates the what you were saying like five minutes ago which is they don't make this anymore and i just want them to make it <laughs> Because yeah. there's only so many runs they could do. Um, I mean, such as, um, such as craft beer. Although, at least in the UK, because it's interesting. Because uh, in uh, Calgary, as in Canada, and Calgary, where I'm from, um, 
we had the microbrewery scene before craft brewery, and now we've we're the the two have met. But for a long time, the microbreweries would be more like they'd have high quality beers, but they'd have high quality lineups, and they would have seasonals that you would like. But then, even once I got established, you'd be like, ah, that brewery's going to have that seasonal at Christmas. It's n- it's not a question. They're just going to make this Christmas beer, and they were very like. Uh, status quo style brewery just small and very good but obviously um craft brewing has changed for, he, that's i think marks the difference between the two which is like craft is trying to make the thing and constantly iterate and do new things and try new things and get better and do nonsense and um <laughs> and uh and and calgary currently it's funny because i moved away in 10 years ago in 2010 and there we had some a couple of microbrews that like were very successful and a couple smaller ones that started. And then in the past five years, now there are over 30 breweries in Calgary. Um, and they're all small craft brewers and like half of them have tap rooms and they're just kind of doing their thing. Uh, and like the idea of still here. Oh yeah. You live in (laughs) Bristol, which is the Calgary equivalent of the UK. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm spoiled wherever I go. Um, but yeah, and it's really interesting to see now, like my friends, not who just like drank like um, Wild Rose Brewery, who we've had as a guest before. Um, like that's like they know what they like from Wild Rose. To change to like they don't even have like a standard beer in their fridge anymore. They they they've just been a they've joined the craft beer culture. So there's always a churn. So it's like, oh, do you want a beer? Hold on, do you want like? And then there's five choices, and yeah. there's only seven beers in the fridge, right? Like. And it's like, ah, when I left, you guys came with me somehow. But it's really interesting to see how much craft has sort of grown over the past 10 years. Because it, even five years ago, I would say, there wasn't as much like the chase wasn't there. That, that's what mm-hmm. threw me off on this tangent. Oh, right. I'm the host. I should get us back on track. I warned you guys. Um, anyways, uh, now that I've ranted and uh, you guys have all nodded, I assume you guys are on board with my nonsense. But let's uh, let's talk a bit more about BitRot. Sure, oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I would say, I mean, to do a little transition, a little segue... Um, I would say that the things that I like in games and the reason I'm making games are kind of the same reasons, the same sorts of things I look for in, in beer, right? I like, like you were saying, that energy of people kind of just trying things, you know, being creative and interesting, um, being willing to kind of go beyond just what people with a lot of money are willing to do, you know? We have the benefit of not having a lot of money, so. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good club, isn't it? <laughs> So, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like our MO. Um, yeah. Really, it's, I mean, we call it BitRot. It's, of course, us, too. And we're twin brothers. So it's just kind of like the latest iteration of stuff that we've worked on together. We worked on music stuff for a very long time. But we've kind of slowly transitioned over into working on games. Uh, we've mm-hmm. been working on games for about 10, I don't know, like 10 years-ish at this point. Um, mostly working for other people and then doing kind of stuff on the side. And then we just decided, you know, I, I saved up a lot of money. I basically lived like a, a monk, you know, brewing beer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And, uh, I took all the money that I had and I just decided, you know, what would be a really great investment 
why don't we uh you know i'll break off and we'll just make our own studio and we'll we'll make our own game you know at the time i was working for a studio and uh i wasn't particularly happy with the kinds of games we were making i was happy that i was making games just not those games um right since then i mean chad actually still maintains his position he's got a cool job so do you want to talk about that chad Sure, yeah. I'm a senior lead gameplay engineer at Cloud Imperium Games, uh, so working on Star Citizen, uh, which I've been uh, there for six years now. And it's it's been a really interesting journey because whenever I joined, it was a much smaller company than it is now. I think there was, I mean, it wasn't right at the very beginning, but we had about 200 people at the time. And now we're at um, like 750, I think, employees. So the company is just... Yeah completely exploded and uh the number of people playing the game has, has grown and grown and grown over the years and uh yeah it's a lot of fun and then on top of it um i i would say that the development practices have become really uh, a lot more amenable uh, when we were a younger company it felt more like a startup but now i think we've really matured as a company and um, part of that is that uh, we're i think a lot more respecting people's time which is why i'm able to work on a second game <laughs> like on the nights and on the weekends because uh, i i don't know i just like games development so much um but it's also very different because i i'm an engineer right uh on on star citizen whereas on recursive ruin which is the game that we're making uh, i actually don't do any programming whatsoever it's uh, curtis handles all the, all the okay. programming he's he's a very good oh. engineer although i won't necessarily always tell him that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so my I'm contributions are mainly things like design, writing, music, art, uh, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, although we do uh, make our own, uh, kind of coming out of our, um, we mentioned we, we did the PhD thing. So coming out of our PhD research, uh, we work on an open source programming language for music, ge- uh, generative music and audio DSP. And so I do contribute to that project, which we use on the game to make music do sound with. So I still do some programming outside of work. It's just not um, game programming. Um, but yeah, so okay. Cloud and Parent's great because they let me actually do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Curtis, you look like you're going to say yeah, something. Because I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I always hear about these, you know, people breaking off on their own and, um, you know, starting something in like their quote-unquote free time. Mm-hmm. Um do you ever think that you might just take the plunge as well, Chad, and just become... I mean, it's absolutely the goal. I, I love Cloud Imperium. I love yeah. working on Star Citizen. If any fans... Can you say that out loud? Me. Yeah. yeah, yeah take yeah. down the feed. I, 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 was, I, was, I thought you could dance around it lightly, but... No, yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I have Screw no, those guys. I, I'm married. I have two kids. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, I just bought a house. I think financially speaking, I'm kind of tied down <laughs> to working a stable job for a while. <laughs> so I don't think there's any danger of me uh, leaving anytime soon. So don't worry, Chris, I'm okay. sticking around. Um, <laughs> but like, it's, you know, absolutely. It's a, it's a dream to, to work on your own game full time. And yeah. if we could get the game to be successful enough that it could like support me full time, that would be the best for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I real... like your honesty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I have to admit, um, you know, we're we're making it because we want to make something good. Um, mm-hmm. we're not really making it necessarily 
make lots of money or anything. And if I had to make a bet, I don't think it will make a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, we never, there was never been a single point where we ever said, where we had a decision and we were like, oh, okay, well, this one might make us more money. <laughs> so we're going to do <laughs> right. that thing. It was just never a thought. Um, so I figure, you know, you only live once. Uh, you might as well, if you really yeah. love something, you might as well take a shot. So this is just me. This is us taking a shot. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> I mean, that's why I quit my career in IT and went to grad school for my PhD nonsense. Oh, really? And look at me now, unemployed. That's great. Where did you go? Um, it... <laughs> yeah, I was there. I hate my job. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, unemployment, hating your job. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'd take the unemployment. <laughs> uh, you you yeah. mentioned you went to... Within reason. Sorry, you uh, studied in Austin? What school did you go to? Oh, I didn't say Austin. Oh, sorry. What did you say? Now I don't remember what I said. I think I just said now I'm unemployed, but okay. I, I think I said that my PhD nonsense. <laughs> oh, nonsense. I thought you said Austin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonsense. Okay. No, no. I, I did my PhD here in Bristol. That's what brought me here. I see. Okay, cool. Uh, well, as someone yeah, who has I'm a PhD, a also in nonsense, I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of nonsense going know. on in here. Yeah. I did a degree in nonsense, and then I stopped there because the PhD nonsense would have been too much. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I I have to say that I'm really intrigued by recursive ruin because I don't know what it is, um, and it seems interesting. Uh, so for those of uh, listeners and who haven't uh, looked it up on Steam, uh, Recursive Ruin is a kaleidoscopic narrative puzzle game. Explore an infinitely fractal world of strange beauty and mind-bending physics. Inhabit a despondent artist in search of meaning and experience a bittersweet story that cascades into the surreal. <laughs> and if you haven't watched the trailer, watch the trailer, and then you'll see why I still say, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm very intrigued. <laughs> so do you guys want to tell us a little bit more uh, outside of the blurb? Yeah, sure. I mean, I would definitely recommend people watch the trailer. Um, there's a lot of visual stuff going on that's kind of hard to describe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you see it, it's like very obvious kind of what's going on. Um, also, we just put lots of effort into it, so please <laughs> just watch. Uh, but yeah, to add on to that, if I could describe it in like a super reductive way, um, to try to get the idea across, it would be kind of like if you took like some kind of fractal version of Portal and then you stapled mm -hmm. it onto Gone Home, but it was like directed by David Lynch. Um, that, that's kind of what the game is. Those are three good things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good elevator. <laughs> so to go a bit deeper, um, yeah, you know, like I said, Portal, Gone Home, there are both kind of mechanical puzzle aspects to the game, and there's like big story aspects to the game, and they're both really important. So, um, if you're if you're a person that really you're like, yeah, I like good stories, interesting stories, I like stuff that's a bit on the you know more interesting, surreal, experimental side of things, and I like you know interesting worlds that are a bit different and have strange physics. Um, this is the game for you, right? <laughs> uh, the the actual mechanics and the puzzles and the strange world is that's all this kind of infinitely repeating fractal so the, the world itself the entire world is a fractal and actually contains itself 
inside of itself. Uh, sort of like a, a Russian nesting doll. But you can mm -hmm. travel around in it, you know. And we have all these cool puzzles you can do where, you know, they're like physics puzzles and things that play off of this fact that you can kind of travel around it in strange ways that you couldn't normally travel around in a normal place. Um, it's based on this idea called uh, a strange loop. Uh, back in high school, Chad and I read this book called Goodle, Escher, and Bach, An Eternal Golden ah, Break by Douglas Hofstetter. I don't know if you guys have read that one. Hmm. Fantastic book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a logician, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then, yeah, definitely. So, I, I mean, I'll just to throw the concept out there for people who don't yeah. know. Um, I, I would, I mean, my definition for it is something like uh, traveling forward in some kind of hierarchical system, but somehow arriving back where you began, even though you didn't change directions or anything like that, right? Mm. So it's this weird thing where things kind of nest inside of each other. Uh, it can be like a conceptual thing. It can be like a physical thing in a kind of like impossible space. Um, so examples of that would be like Russian nesting dolls or uh, video feedback. You can also do it with like stories. You can do it with uh, music. So in music theory, you can modulate. You can do key modulation, uh, mm. modulating by like fourths, and you'll end up back in the same key where you began. Um, mm. So things like that. Um, but like, yeah, the whole world is this sort of thing and that concept uh permeates the entire thing even the the story aspect of it so yeah. to, to kind of get into the other component you know it's not just puzzles so like if you are like i only like puzzles i hate stories don't tell me things maybe not the game for you uh but, <laughs> but if you like that sort of stuff we got a lot for you as well um it centers on this artist who when you first come upon him he's actually quite uh, despondent kind of has a bit of ennui um, and you're it's not clear exactly why so he you you'll um, come into his apartment and you'll examine objects you know just like some other games where you'll hear monologues and things like that and you'll start to pick up a bit of his background and his history and you start to learn a little bit of why exactly he is in the state that he's in so the game acts as both kind of a puzzle game mechanically uh but also narratively so it's a, a little bit of a narrative puzzle hmm. uh, about this person's life uh to start off in the game what happens is um he actually uh receives a package in the mail from his old apartment but without a cinder on it and he doesn't know who it's from he opens it up and inside of it is uh an unmarked game and when he puts that game in that game ends up being something called Recursive Ruin. So you, the player, are playing a game called Recursive Ruin about an artist playing a game <laughs> called Recursive Ruin. So there's this whole, like, nesting thing, right? This, yeah, right. We play this trick a lot. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So that game that he plays, that's the infinite, like, the world that you see that's all strange and infinite. We call that the infinite realms, and it's like that, you know, it's like a pure mathematical world where things are logical and beautiful but somewhat strange strangely beautiful so mm -hmm. yeah that's the essential gist of it yeah i love that on a conceptual level and as you say you you've incorporated like as you say the music the the, the game design the you know the narrative in it that, that's super interesting it's, i mean 
props to you just going all in on that <laughs> idea, you know? And that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we're coming out of a tradition, I think, uh, where that was like a big thing. You know, a lot of people would mm. do concept pieces where you just go all in on the concept, you know? <laughs> There's this piece called, like, for instance, sitting in a room where it's literally just a person uh, sitting in a room saying, I am sitting in a room over and over again for about an hour uh, with uh, my, microphone feedback. One of the best electronic pieces of all time. I, I, it's Unfortunately, you can listen to a recording of it, but it, it really ruins it, in my opinion, because the whole point of it is that he's, he says this kind of like monologue about sitting in a room and records it in the in the space that you're in. But then when he's done recording it, he plays it back in the space and but records it while he's playing it back and then keeps doing that over several iterations. And what happens is, is the uh, resonances in the room of the different um, uh, frequencies that are like more resonant for that space get emphasized more and more throughout each recording. And so by the end of it, it becomes this just wash of just like, you know, these these resonances that in that space are like really particular. So that's why listening to it in a different place doesn't work as well, because when you're actually sitting in this space, it has this like way of kind of like discovering, like kind of exposing the room itself in this kind of very fundamental way. But on top of it, just to get a little bit fancy, um, it's also a bit uh, of a conceptual piece as far as like him personally, because he has he's he's known to have a, a lisp. And so whenever he talks, one of the things that he talks about is that he describes the process of recording it, reinforcing the frequencies. But he also mentions that it's going to smooth out his intonations of his speaking voice. So it's this kind of interesting oh. kind of, um, you know, kind of a way to talk about his his list uh, through this kind of artwork. So I don't know. It's super interesting. Uh, Alvin Lussier in general is super interesting. But to kind of bring it back to us, I guess what I would say is that this is the tradition that we come from like that this world of like electronic music and kind of conceptual stuff, like st stuff that takes itself way too seriously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> certainly is kind of like our aesthetic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I need to rewatch the trailer with, uh, and listen to the music. Like, it, I mean, you've both got keyboards in frame and it's just like, <laughs> you know, music obviously a very integral part of the game, but, I, I think next time I'll pay attention to that more, knowing what I know now. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So for the trailer, all the music, uh, the big idea there is it's kind of like this kaleidoscope of uh, mm. of voice. So a lot of people don't even realize it's voice actually. So, uh, but we have just one three note melody that was sung, um, and then the all all okay. of this outside of some prepared piano, uh, all the other mm -hmm. sounds are basically some kind of manipulation of those three notes in different manners. Interesting. Mm. Mm. I know nothing, next to nothing about music, so this is just fascinating <laughs> to me. When you're talking about clefs and stuff, I'm just like, <laughs> what? I know there's A to uh, G, maybe? <laughs> That's, That's correct, all, yeah. You know? So, yeah, this is very high concept for me, but it's, it, I love, like, games like this, mm. providing that... Um, I'm able to play them because I'll probably talk about my motion sickness later and see if you like can combat that in any way. But something like Manifold Garden, have you? I was just going to ask I mean, about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So, um, 
I would be interested to know when they announced, because we were not aware of it when we started the project. I, I, I think it, I, I followed the development on that for years. He was making it for like, probably like seven years. It was a while. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, so we, yeah, I, I can imagine that just two ships passing in the night, nobody, you know. Yeah, so it's totally independent. <laughs> I didn't know about them until I saw the trailer, like, probably two or three years into development. I have to admit, yeah. at the time, I was, like, a little bit bummed out because I was like, oh, my mm. goodness. Um, somebody, you know, totally beat us to the punch. And it was and it was very good, right? Like, it, oh, it was a great I game. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, looks my emotions aside, <laughs> it's a great game. <laughs> Drawing on a lot of the same ideas, it's not exactly the same. You know, they're playing a no, lot of, kind of, like, switching. Really different games, Sorry. actually. Like, um, yeah. ours... Um, it's, I don't want to like spoil too much about the story or anything, but I, I would say we're definitely more story heavy, and the yeah. the puzzle aspect of it uh, is important, but not. I, I would argue maybe not even the most important thing. Like like foundationally, really, it's about telling a particular story about this this person and this kind of infinite nesting the the thing that we call the infinite realms. Um, it serves a particular role. It's a thematic role, and it, it yeah. It's yeah, so I I don't know. Like I I think that for people that enjoyed Manifold Garden, they, they probably would absolutely find things to enjoy about this game. Um, but I, I would say they're also like very different. Um, they're they're oh, yeah, it's yeah. it's not just a clean kind of a, um <laughs> meditation on on this nesting concept. Yeah, I mean, a bit reductive just to say like, oh, you know, I see something with right. infinite worlds and you know this MC Escher kind of s thing, but I think it you know. Just thinking about that made me understand a bit more, like, as you say, like the fractal, uh, nature of it. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, like, um, I mean, Gone Home is one of my favorite games of all time. So, like, Same. having it, you know, center on the narrative. I mean, Adil, you played, uh, Before Your Eyes earlier this year, and that was something yeah. that's, like, uses its mechanics, you know, to propel the narrative. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of my, favorite games of the year it's it's yeah. super high up um and yeah like this i'm glad you mentioned that because um i was thinking when you were first describing it oh yeah manifold garden but of course there's it's a fun some tough ish puzzle game but like maybe i missed the story <laughs> except except the 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 like general arc of getting through right. and then having a visual feast having gone through i didn't really pick up in anything remarkable outside of that which is yeah. again not a knock it's just like it's not a narrative focused game uh exactly. um and so yeah it sounds like as you guys kept talking about both the music and the narrative i got even more interested um or it pulled me away from the 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 like i think we all had this uh, lucy and i had this natural like oh it must be similar to because that's how human brains work <laughs> and that similarity is obviously right one small part um mm -hmm. but yeah so so the fact that the nesting doll concept the strange loop concept is integral and i was just curious about if you could say more about so the world is a strange loop of sorts or, um and then you mentioned earlier this music um open source engine thing mm. that procedurally stuffs stuff stuff he says <laughs> losing all notion of technical <laughs> uh, anything but like 
I'm assuming that's part of the game, but I, I mean, obviously, don't want to spoil it. But I'm really curious, given your guys' uh, research work and presence of keyboards, uh, how what what the loop and what the mechanics and the music sort of are like. So, if you could, could you speak a little more about that? Yeah. I, I can't, Curtis, well, did I, you have? I, okay. Sure. I mean, um, I'll say that. Think that with the music, um, I mean there there are pieces. Actually, we wrote a piece uh, way back in, in uh, college. What was it? Was it just called Strange Loop, Chad? I can't remember. It was. Yeah, it was we called... we did it for yeah. we got a uh, undergraduate research grant for it. I remember it for that reason. And that one was straight up like a strange loopy, a strange loop piece you could make. Um, where we actually made it to where it had like this melody, and then um. I would do some like variations on it and it would develop it on this like uh prepared piano instrument but then it would process it and then it kept playing faster and faster and faster and faster until the rhythms because uh, a lot of people don't realize this but rhythm and pitch are actually basically the same thing they're just at different speeds so if you make a rhythm go fast enough it turns into pitch right so mm. that's what this piece did the rhythms kept getting faster and faster internal and turned into a pitch and then the pitch melded into a note which was that same melody at the start of the piece, and then it played it once at the end, and that was the piece. So it was like a perfect, strange loop. Uh, the music with this, um, we're not as like hardcore, I think, on making each piece in the game a strange loop. We're more interested, I think, um, conceptually getting across the emotions that are happening in the game, because there's a lot of emotional stuff that happens with it. So I would say the emotions are actually maybe the biggest, thing that are guiding the the pieces but they do have conceptual angles so like you know the the three note thing that is in a lot of the pieces so a lot of the pieces have just that one vocal melody um modified in different manners all throughout um a bit like a, a late motif i don't know if you guys know that term um mm, yeah. yeah so yeah. even me and my basic <laughs> yeah. musical knowledge no uh, motif, yeah. So, uh, definitely that. Um, and we do play, you know, certain tricks. Like, we'll do, um, palindromes. So, you know, we ha there's a big piece, well, the piece that gets used in the puzzle levels, at least one of them. Uh, it does a three note thing. It does this kind of, uh, development in the middle. And then in the end, when it returns, it does it in reflection. So it's the retrograde, the melody, uh, oh. process throughout. So, um, yeah, we're definitely conceptual, but I would say we're also trying to be uh, artistic and, and emotional with it as well. Yeah, and another part that I would add to it is that we're, we've always been really, really uh, big fans of feedback in, in all kinds of aspects. Uh, so like kind of earlier on in our artistic career, um, I would say that we were really exploring things like um, guitar feedback and noise and this really heavy music. Um, and over time, we maintain that. So for example, on the music in this game, there, there is certainly a large amount of just straight audio feedback that's happening with a lot of uh, processing, but it's also gotten, I think, a little bit more conceptual. So, you know, historically we've done things with the video feedback or conceptual kind of strange looping that, that happens and in this piece. Certainly there's, or in this game, there's there's a lot of this kind of thing where we'll take 
samples and like reprocess them multiple times and they end up kind of re-envisioning themselves or there's audio feedback or um, there's variation a lot of fft i don't i don't want to get too technical but a lot of fft manipulation as well and so i would say just from a conceptual level we're we're doing kinds of conceptual kinds of nestings if that makes sense uh, but also from like a, a kind of more like technical, tactical point of view, there's there's certainly some more direct nestings. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Curtis is right. At the end of the day, uh, it's it's a messy process. Like the whole thing about this game has been a mess. Whenever we started working <laughs> on it um, four years ago, I think um, five. Yeah. I can't remember, remember now. <laughs> I think five years ago we started working on a game, and four years ago it was this game, yeah. right? So it took it took a good year of mm. exploration for us to really find this idea. Okay. Um, and where we started with was a really simple prototype that Curtis had made, where he just totally hacked something together. We were throwing out lots of ideas about different kinds of games, and uh, it's funny because this concept for us was the thing that actually we were kind of avoiding. It was it was the really obvious thing because we had done so much at that point with feedback and strange loops that it was like, okay, well, wh- why not do something different than this thing that we do all the time? Uh, but <laughs> right. we decided that like, hey, let's just try it out in, in like a game form and see if it's any in good or interesting at all. And so, yeah, Curtis threw together this prototype that had like a table and a chair and like a spear, if I recall correctly, and like just a platform and a platform. Yeah, and that was it. And but it nested inside of itself infinitely. You could pick up the the spear and like throw it, and it would move all of them and stuff. And it looked like garbage. Uh, like the textures were like you know just the default like Unreal. Speaking of fans of feedback, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it was it looked like garbage, but um, that was good because. Whenever I saw it, it was like, okay, it looks like garbage, but there's something compelling about this, right? And that's what yeah. made me think, okay, I think this is actually the direction we should go because it was the first thing that seemed really compelling despite, you know, having so little going in, in its favor. Um, and in that time, yeah, we we developed it a lot. Um, I don't know if Curtis, you wanted to add any more to that, but I, I would... Just say in general, when I when we make pieces, I kind of think of it either they usually come about one of two ways, which is either top down or bottom up. So if it's top down, it is that kind of concept first, and everything flows from that. If it's bottom up, you kind of like are making things, and you just kind of put it together, and it builds on top of each other. This one was like weird because um it has that concept thing, but it came out in a bottom up way. You know, kind of just mm. jamming stuff together, putting it together, and then that's kind of how it developed from there. It was even though it has this big concept, everything about it was kind of bottom up. We didn't necessarily envision all of it going into it. It felt a bit more like excavation, you know. So, like, we didn't even intend for there to be story. We did intend, it, I think, to start with to be more of a manifold garden. I mean, portal or or something uh, yeah. where it was more puzzle centric. Uh, but as we went along it just wanted to be that that's just really what it was and it just kept coming out we were just digging it out slowly a little bit by by bit and uh it ended up being this kind of strange beautiful thing you know so Uh, i mean with with the with the story Mm -hmm. like how much of 
you two is in that story, like your personalities, your upbringing, like without spoiling anything, obviously, like how much have you putting yourselves into It's a very story. good question. For it to be such an integral part of the game. Right. Especially. I would say it's absolutely not an autobiography. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, for sure, there are things that are drawing on our life experiences, is the way that I would put mm-hmm. it. So, like, the main character I would not claim is us. But um, I think the way that I we were able to write for the game and feel authentic and feel like actually channel real emotion, I think was to draw on those, on those real life experiences. So there are certainly people or events or relationships that we have, you know, felt or experienced that are, that are in there, but, but yeah, ultimately it is uh, a work of fiction. I mean, I think it's a pretty, this person's dealing with something that I think is pretty common where you really want life to be a certain way you have certain aspirations and things are just not the world is not on board you know uh and it's a struggle to deal with that uh he's also got some other things going on but that's i don't want to give too much away (laughs) yeah that's fair (laughs) but so it's not quite a john every man but uh certainly a a john every feeling maybe john every artist (laughs) yeah fair enough (laughs) i mean i would say for sure, this idea of like this person that's into, I mean, he's, yeah, he's into maybe more procedural or like kind of more experimental kind of art. Um, so this angle may not be familiar to a lot of people. It certainly like speaks to like where we come from. But at the same time, I think this idea, like Curtis was saying about like you had certain, when you're growing up, when you're going to college, whenever you're, figuring out who you are as a person you have you you tell yourself a kind of narrative about like who you're going to be about what you're you can accomplish about what you want even out of life and as you grow older um that changes it becomes in some ways a little bit more naive um but also that there's also it feels like a little bit of a loss there that maybe uh you could push for those things that you really want if you if you want were willing to sacrifice um I don't know, a little bit of a, a conflict of idealism and, and and realism. And kind of meditating, I would say, on on uh, who you are as a, as a person. So it's a very introspective game. Which, again, kind of comes back to... I would say, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of introspection in this yeah. game. <laughs> which comes back to the themes, right? So this whole idea of like recursive ruin and infinite nesting and strange loops. It's this idea of inward looking, of, of looking at yourself conceptually as a person and this involves uh both the idea of like what you're observing while you're observing it uh, i mean there, there's a lot of these kind of themes in it. Oh, that's super interesting it is it also uh i, I have, we didn't want to let go of this but your excavating metaphor <laughs> made me realize that it sounds like you were neither top down or bottom up but bottom down <laughs> Um, yeah, which... I mean, I you know, I said that taxonomy, and then I immediately violated it. I just didn't use it. Ah, uh, but bottom down makes perfect sense. But also, it speaks to kind of what you were just, uh, what Chad was just saying about what the game is. It's yeah. like bottom down makes sense if you're doing an introspective loop. Yeah, yeah, because exactly. you're like ah thing, and then it's like oh actually all these other things right. that we're figuring out we want to do, etc. Like bottom down is a is 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 a quite a personal, but definitely viable approach and that sounds exactly like what you both were describing it just struck me that like 
the description of the game map mapped really well to the previous description of the development. Yeah, yeah. You guys are living a strange loop. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it, okay? This is not a time loop game for this year, though. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. No, no time loops. Um, no, there's yeah. looping. There is. Yeah. They're like time. spatial. Maybe not time. <laughs> yeah, it's spatial. Yeah. Not oh. a loop game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those easier this year. So. Apparently, yeah. Well, I'm done my beer. I don't know how <laughs> the rest of you are doing. If you have a second. Oh, no, you're still good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no pressure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lucy, do you have a second beer today? I do not, and I'm ah, still. Okay. I'm, I'm only about halfway through this one. Okay, so this, this was the problem of me having a four percent blonde and you guys having <laughs> hefty brews. Um, do you have a second beer, Chad? I don't. Uh, not on hand, nope. at least. No. Cool. Yeah. yeah. No worries. I mean, in which case, I might just crack into mine. Okay. And then, yeah, go for and it. We can. What, what is it? Uh, it is small. <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, it's from this was given to me by my housemate Scruff uh, when she w- went went to um, Cornwall mm-hmm. and went to Padstow Brewing and picked mm-hmm. me up a bottle of their May Day Citra Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. It's a five percent. Uh, I don't know a lot about Padstow outside of it. it's probably going to be a more traditional. Um, they're not they're not like a craft brewer, um, but I was c- intrigued because I was like. The other beer she got me was a copper ale. I was like, yes, this mm. is a British beer. But this is a Citra yeah. Pale Ale with a name that isn't just the copper one. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm curious because I think this might be a good indication of just the success of craft on the smaller breweries in the UK. Yeah, that's actually a really Doing interesting like combination more. to see an English Pale Ale with Citra hops. That that definitely is indicative of some, some kind of evolution. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and it is a nice, it's a proper 568 bottle. <laughs> Good we don't, yeah. We don't do 330 mils over here. No, <laughs> our bottles come big. <laughs> yeah, you gotta take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a lovely color it's pouring. Yeah. Nice amberish. Yeah, and like. Very British in that it, it's just got almost no carbonation. The pour, you saw it was kind of a little sloppier in the glugging because I always forget to lower the camera when I do the pour and no one pours a beer at right. above shoulders. <laughs> well, I do. And I like, it's just any, but like it, there was no problem because like there's no head on this thing because there's just not, not nothing to screw up because it's just, uh, just like a nice solid British ale. Um, oh, I'm getting a little. So the citrus definitely there. I've got. Oh wow! Sorry, it's just I was. It's, I've got a bit of, um, like skunkweed on the back of, um. I want to say like a sweet citrus, but not quite. Somewhere not, not clementine, but like also not quite tangerine. Um. Oh. But yeah, there's like a dankiness to to this that I wasn't expecting. That's great. Um. Yeah. Again, again, I was, I was, I was leaning into what I thought was like a British right, ale because yeah. it poured and looked like a British <laughs> ale, and it was like, oh, right. Yeah, that looks like it could just have come like straight from cask. That right? Yeah, this lo- looks like it could have been poured. 
few bubbles from the camera, but otherwise, yeah, it looks like it could just come. Yeah, there's more drips of condensation from me holding the bottle and then touching the glass than there are bubbles <laughs> clinging to the glass. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, really, really wet, almost no, like, can't taste carbonation. Um, finishes wet. It's a little, a little coppery. But I'm getting that citra all the way through, but like really toned down. And it's also got this weird, this sweetness on the finish, which is throwing me off a bit. Um, just because it, I think it's because I it had such a uh, more crafty nose that I was expecting a bitter, more bitter finish. And this is actually finishing wet and a little sweet and. There is like there there is definitely a, a hoppy finish, but it's it's not it's not boisterously so. Um, mm. I think uh, Lucy, you always say you want a beer to finish like a beer and finish bitter. I think you'd be yeah. on the fence slash mildly disappointed just because it's just okay. not that bitter. And it, and I think part of that is just it's got this sweetness sitting on top. Although that might be uh, my palate still having a bit of the honey beer on it. Um, yeah, that sweetness coming from like—is it like a sort of caramel sweetness, like from the malts or anything? Or no, that's the weird thing. I can't quite place it. It's, it's not yeah. malty. Yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, but again, everything basically everything in this beer is quite light, and um, it's not boisterous at any angle. It's, it's not too fizzy. It's not too dark. You know, it's um, uh, the the strongest thing was that that sort of citra hoppy note on the nose mm. and then everything yeah. else is it definitely has a citra in it so it's not just like a coppery pale ale but the the coppery standard british pale ale is is coming through and the citrus actually giving it a bit of a floral and a light like a light citrus overtones which i didn't expect to work so well in this sort of st sort of standard right. british pale but it's really working well um and this is an example of it's leaving me not dry at all. The finish is quite light, uh, but it lasts. So the the beer, the taste is inviting me back, not forcing me back. Um, so yeah, it's ah. I want to say the the uh, the citra. The notes coming from the citra are making it all feel more delicate than I'm used to a, a type of British pale. Okay. It just feels like yeah, delicate. I think everything because everything's still quite constrained, um, and like it's not very boisterous in the angle. But then it it uh, these these notes are are like like I said, light citrus, a bit of floral. Uh, that dankness is nowhere to be seen. It's all just kind of yeah. It's like a, I want to my hands are doing like a card house. Like it just like it's there. <laughs> it's interesting, but I feel like it could collapse, and it's just not. So that's good. Yeah. There's no gust of wind, so we're okay. fine. But everything's just really sort of small but well put together balanced that's what Simmer. a card house needs Simmer. balance uh, little, like all, to my own metaphor in the middle of a venn diagram it's yeah little, but everything crosses over yeah no, it's balanced. not like a like a wiper and true which is we've talked about at mm. length here at the podcast which is a local bristle brewery where everything is like super subtle and nuanced but there's like a bunch of things going on but you have to you could easily not notice them because they're all quite night uh light uh small 
uh, but nuanced and well put together. And you could spend a long time trying to unpack it and really luxuriate. Here, I feel like there's like three or four things going on, and they're not yelling at me. And that, but there's no, there's no nuance. It's just smaller and but still yeah. balanced. That sounds good. Yeah, I know that doesn't well, help. Maybe you our don't two guests sit in your like are... your your fine jacket in your lounge chair with your you know pipe, thinking about the the flavors for the next hour. But sounds like an enjoyable, yeah, enjoyable combination. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah, um, excellent. Uh, so now I am curious uh, with our two guests. I'm, I'm happy to go back to to music and games, uh, but I really want to know um, what you're playing. Because I'm curious to, as to when you're designing a game that's quite abstract, what you go to. Is it more abstract things for, like, inspiration? Or is it like, hey, Mario's good. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it might have no relation to the work, and maybe it's just what you do in your downtime. But yeah, I'm curious what you guys uh, what you guys have been playing or, or games you want to, like, bring up of note. I mean, I have to admit, like, I... Uh... I think both of us really we take influence from from everything, you know. But we love games. Our bi- two big passions in life have definitely been games and music ever since we were kids. Uh, but you know, I love I love uh, films. I love books. Um, I love shows. So I, you know, I'd say we take influence from from all of that. Um, in some ways, I think what we are trying to do is to synthesize those sorts of things. Uh, there definitely are games out there that that do the kind of more experimental stuff, but we also like to take influence from all those other things. So, uh, I mean, as far as like just games that I'm jamming right now, right, right now things are very busy for for me. <laughs> so I actually don't even get, unfortunately, uh, to play as much as I would like. Uh, recently, though, I have been playing Caves of Cood. I don't know if you guys know that game. I might be Very pronouncing so it wrong. <laughs> I apologize to the developers if I am. Q U D. Uh, so caves of Q U D. Yeah. Uh, yes, part of it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, so for us that's a super nostalgic game because um whenever we started playing games, we our first exposure was the Commodore sixty four. And one of the games that we really fell in love with was uh, Ultima 4. And um, this game really brings back a lot of Ultima 4. I mean, of course, it's different in, in its own way, and it's doing some super interesting things. But at the same time, there's part of me that just remembers being, like, whatever, 8 or something with Curtis in our room with this little, you know, <laughs> Commodore 64 staying up way too late, like, breaking into prisons and making the guards mad and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And typing totally inappropriate things into the text. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see. Um, yeah, this, this this game's been around for a while. I didn't realize that it was... Because um, the name was familiar. Not my kind of game, I'll admit, but it, it, it is, it's fascinating to see, like, how many game designers usually... You know, default back to that very old school RPG like game, and it, it, no matter what kind of game they're <laughs> making, like a, a fractal first person narrative game, it's like, yeah, they always seem to just revert back to uh, your old ro- roguelikes and RPGs. 
I mean, yeah, I will say um, it it is a very interesting game. Also, like technologically mm. and even in the story, it's doing some pretty interesting things. It's it's actually doing a lot of procedural stuff. But normally, mm-hmm. um, I mean, to get a little bit into the weeds, um, normally when people say things are generative or procedural, what they really mean is that there's like a random seed and then there's like an algorithm yeah that takes that random seed and just kind of extrapolates the, the setting certain parameters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually do- going a bit further with it. So they're actually doing things uh, with machine learning and with neural networks and things to generate a uh, story and to generate, like they have books that are totally generative that are completely oh, wow. written that you can find in the world and you can read them. Mm-hmm. And each, it's a rogue game, you know, roguelike game. And yeah. each time you play it, there's like this world. It's a really beautiful world, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and the music's beautiful that. too. Um, but the the there are like all these factions, and there's this long history to the world. Uh, and the factions, like the way they relate to each other, change over time, and that has an impact in the way that the world is shaped now. And all of that is actually different each time you play it. So each time you play it, there's like these mythological things that have occurred in the history of the place. Uh, but it's always different. So it's always like some strange, and they're like really, I like them because they're like crazy, uh, because they're not logical. Mm. It's, you know, it's procedural. So it'll be like, you know, <laughs> the sh- shaman from, you know, whatever, whatever rebuked the robots of Frogland. And now this world <laughs> is forever known as the Brines of Doom. <laughs> it's just like, okay, nice. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> awesome. So that's really cool. Uh, I, I just noticed on Steam that they their last depots were two days ago, so it's uh, it's still in early access. It's still yeah. being developed. Yeah, they just but released uh, what they called for... Wonder Mode, which is a mode that's not a roguelike mode. So it has checkpoints in the different towns. So if you're not into the like super hardcore roguelike aspect of it, and you're just looking for more of like a an open world RPG, uh, this is kind of like <laughs> the mode for that. And I I personally I like that because. Oh. Uh, like Curtis, I'm I'm old and I don't have as much time as I used to. Yeah. So like you know, sometimes like a roguelike, I I love them, but um, it can be a bit punishing when you know my PlayStation sessions can be a bit short, and I kind of just want to experience something. Yeah. Um, for myself, uh, I I move forward. I'm sorry. I said I'd move forward. Yeah, and yeah, get progress at all, right? Rather than just like start over yeah. all the time. <laughs> Uh, but for me, I've been yeah. Playing, I mean, I think uh, part of it is um, oxen free, which is something that I had always wanted ah. to play and just kind of missed out on and had some time and, and went back to it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's a kind of game that I, I like a lot. It's very story focused. It's um, it actually ended up being super different. I don't know how much spoilers I, I want to give away since it's so uh, story driven. Six years old. Yeah. <laughs> You know, right. I think yeah. you're fine. <laughs> I mean, but also if if you want to encourage listeners to play the game and don't want to spoil it for them, by all sure, means. I mean, I can I talk mean, about it's, it. It's been on my list for for ages as well, right. and I think I was in the same boat. Never quite got around mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't necessarily directly spoil, but I'll say it was very different than I thought it was going to be from a, a story point of view. I knew, you know, basically as much as like a screenshot, which is like, okay, it looks like some kids on a beach, right? Oh, and so I went okay. in like expecting it was just going to be like, you know, a teen 
drama kind of thing and it was like oh no this is like really different than yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I enjoyed it you know it's not a perfect game um i i imagine if i played their more recent games that i could probably see where they had learned from from this in some ways i think that um some of the like character arts and some of the kind of ways that they thread the story together it felt it felt a little uh i don't want to say primitive but i would say formative right that they had clearly some some really good ideas but it seemed like maybe there was still some some workshopping to do to to really make it come together um, although I think I saw that they're making a, a sequel, so I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I how quite it, it turns into a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> they, they got they got bought by Netflix. Which oh, was really? Weird, but, um... Oh, right. No, oh, I, I yeah, forgot right. that. Yeah. yeah. That's why. Night School Studio. Um, but yeah, I think Austin Creed 2 is coming out next year. I think previews went up for it recently, so I guess it's very much on the horizon. But yeah, just going back to what you said, uh, that that kind of like dialogue mm-hmm. system um just felt very fluid and natural and yeah. you see it in their other games which um you know i think have had mixed success i think nothing's been as big as oxen free mm-hmm. for them um because i've had a game on like game pass and apple arcade but they do like dialogue mm-hmm. and, and character better than most people mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love their dialogue system. I, I really like that game. It, it felt mm, super yeah, natural. And it also kind of encouraged mm. you to supernatural. kind of live in the moment, right? <laughs> so, like, somebody would say something, you feel like, okay, if I don't respond, right, with my kind of, like, a gut immediate initial response, I, I might not get to. But it's nice because yeah. it also makes you kind of regret things, which feels more real in some ways. Because for me, I, I would sometimes yeah. respond to something and then reflect on it and be like, actually, I wish I didn't say that <coughs> quite in that way. Um, but I like that the, mm-hmm. you know, it was an interesting idea to have the main character have a different way of expressing themselves. Like you could even pick details about their background that would be true, right? Depending on what mm-hmm. you said, which I had not seen, I think, another game do that I can remember. So, yeah, I, I think that part of it was, was definitely one of the most successful. And I think the main character was written really well. I, I think they did a really good job yeah, with her. Absolutely. There's a couple of the side characters I wasn't as um, excited by, but I think the main <laughs> character was really well done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the second game, for sure. I, I, I'm just so happy that you went in completely blind, because <laughs> it, it seemed like one of those games that it's like it's been around for quite some time now not just that it it had its um you know like kind of wave of uh success and hype so i'm glad you went into that um not knowing that's cool (laughs) yeah it's kind of like how i wish people would play doki doki panic or not sorry doki doki literature club um literature club yeah yeah yeah. it was inevitably gonna get spoiled by the twitter sphere right yeah yeah i played it quite early so i was okay and i remember me and ben were looking at old episodes that we recorded and it's like i was trying to describe <laughs> doki doki literary club without descri- describing, describing what other game it was like because <laughs> that would have just spoiled it you know inherently so it's yeah. like i know Hard uh, just play it promise me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But I mean, those are my favorite types of recom- <coughs> recommendations. Are they just play it? Don't just play it. Just tr- trust me. Um, and they come from a good source. And like, yeah, sure. Um, although I think Lucy's done that a handful of times to me, and I haven't played the game. Yeah, have you played the Oberdin yet? Oh, that's a great game. <sighs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played it. 
it, it's 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 become so. Uh, during my PhD, I had a lot of PhD guilt. I mm-hmm. just finished last May. Oh, I get that. I can relate. Uh, I can and relate. so, <laughs> games that were like will grip you or were long. Or like, no, I shouldn't start those because then I won't work and I'll just do that, which isn't the case because I know how to time manage, but definitely was in my head for for so many years. Uh, and then then it's like, oh, right, this game everyone's told me about. I, I need to carve out some time for it, forgetting that that's just never how I play games. So like yeah. my like need to play games are almost always on the list and never turned on because my brain is not doing myself justice and i know this and i can describe this to people and i will still do it <laughs> the one the one exception was like last christmas or whatever uh before before our end of the year i like was like okay i got hades i know everyone loves it fuck it i'm gonna play it and then it gripped me and i lost days to it although i i mean i still did other things but boy did i play that game a lot more than i normally play games um and that was great. Uh, it was also <laughs> the luxury of having finished the PhD and being on the job market uh, yeah. freshly and not feeling the pressure of, oh, I should be writing more to publish to try and blah, right? It was just like, I deserve a break. It's Christmas time. I'm going to play this game a lot. Um, and, but I think uh, I'm finally coming around to um, just picking yeah, up a you're game. Playing, you're playing a lot, to be fair, you know, so... Just, just um, be like me and think it's always Christmas. Well, so my partner is in a different town, and I've been taking my Switch on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, speaking of nostalgia, I picked up a game that I hadn't actually played since the first week I got it. Um, well, yeah. So I got I bought the Link's Awakening remake years ago, oh, whenever okay. it came out, um, yeah. and I got through three instruments or whatever um and then i was just sitting on the train and i was like oh oh what there's a game in the cart slot that's weird (laughs) i almost always just play downloaded codes from or like review games or whatever or just buy stuff on the eShop. sure enough it was link's awakening it's been in the slot for years um and i was like oh i should play that what a charming game that game is. I forgot how nice it is. And it's the, cute. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it runs not great, but <laughs> Yeah, I, I could have cute. done without the tilt shift, even though I think it's an adorable because I know it's a strain on the Switch. Uh but like it brought me back to like I the the dungeon I played on the train was like, I remember this dungeon. I remember this dungeon, but I remember this dungeon in terrible two inch by three inch game boy because i i also i was at my parents place in calgary because i visited home uh, a month and a half ago and i found my game boy in a box and it had link's awakening in in the slot apparently i just leave link's awakening in <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, but obviously i didn't have batteries around or whatever but oh, it was just like say, did it turn on uh, I, I mean, I could have checked. I just kind of, I was helping them pack because they were selling their houses. So I was just like, uh, keep in box, mark my stuff, don't sell. Um, but um, yeah, it was really interesting to have the memory of the game. Just like I had the vision. I don't often have super visual memories, but I had the oh. visual memory of playing through that, like bits of that done, like that boss fight, basically. Like almost superimposed in my brain of watching this very 
twee, you know, plasticine tilt shift version of, of that fight. And it was just, it was like, let's call it co- uh, cognitive resonance instead of cognitive dissonance. Like it was really interesting and it, it cause it wasn't distracting me cause I was still able to be like, all oh, right, this is how the fight works. I remember, but also I remember right. in a totally weird ass way <laughs> um, that I am like having a visual memory of it doesn't match, but it does enough. It like matched yeah. with enough, you know, core characteristics, but not aesthetic ones. It was, it was a really interesting experience, but also, yeah, play that game if you haven't. Ideally on the yeah, Game good. Boy. Not Advance or Color, but the Game Boy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I still have mine. I don't know if it turns on. Mm. Yeah, we didn't you know what else I found? We didn't have a Game Boy, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what was your... So, after the Commodore 64. We had... Uh, well, what? We had... What was it? We had a Sega Genesis. Yeah. I'm trying to remember all the different consoles we had. We had a Sega Genesis. I mean, we played we a bunch Genesis. of Super Nintendo games on... on friends and I, eventually we got one but it was kind of after it it was as big that that's what i did when the n64 came out yeah, i bought exactly. a snes on uh at a garage sale yeah and so you know and then played those back games and playing, like super metroid and chrono trigger and, and all those games which are utterly yeah. amazing uh, but yeah like growing up it was we had a commodore 64 for a very long time and then like a sega genesis and then like a super nintendo and eventually um like what do we have what did we have after the the Super Nintendo? We, we didn't, didn't have, have a GameCube. We, we kind of skipped, skipped the whole. We GameCube just skipped thing. them. Yeah. I'm sorry? <laughs> I did as well. We got yeah. GameCube next. Yeah. I think that was like you know, uh, yeah, long time. We did PC gaming. Like... You know, we played games right. on the computer, right? Mm-hmm. So we were doing a lot of PC games. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was my bread and butter as well. I literally had the Genesis SNES when the N64 yeah. came out, and then nothing, yeah. uh, just the PC. Uh, and because of that, that's how I like learned how to build computers, etc. Because it was like, oh, I can't trust Dad to buy a, you know, I don't, we don't need, I don't want to, him to buy a Pentium two by right. HP. <laughs> Hold on a second. We need more megahertz. <laughs> how, how do I get a better thing? Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and so I got a PS three, and the only reason I did was because it played Blu rays and had a home theater. Yeah, I think for, like I built for a us... theater with a projection in my basement. Yeah, it was like. Curtis got a, a GameCube, I think. I did not, but I played things on his. And then uh, I ended up getting a PlayStation 2 at some point, but it was it was right before the PS3 was going to come out. Uh, and then I ended up just getting this huge collection and spent forever playing like a bunch of games that I had played at other people's houses, like Final Fantasy X and, and stuff like that. But uh, definitely, I've, I've always <laughs> been kind of slow <laughs> on the console game because... Um, I don't know. I think just because I started kind of behind, and so it's just felt mm. correct to just be like kind of a generation behind on the console. So I'm still playing a bunch of PS4 games right now, right? And I'll probably wait until get a PS5 <laughs> until I don't know, like a year from now or something. Yeah, I think that's pro- just smart, yeah. really. There's nothing to play. Right. I mean, <laughs> also I couldn't probably get really one, and there's nothing to yeah. play. <laughs> yeah, and games are super cheap and. Well, like when I had a PlayStation, I was still renting like NES and uh, Sega Master System games. So I was just like, might as well trade in like Croc Legend of the Gobos for 65 NES games. <laughs> That's a great deal. I mean, that would have been a shrewd trade if you kept on to it. Yeah, it, it, it. nobody would have taken Croc. I, I'm sure I still have the disc. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I also found um, from when uh, I found a in shrink wrap Super Mario World. Really? Wow. Because I, which I got at a garage sale years later that someone was just like, oh, I bought this for my son. And then he already, my, someone else bought it for him. So I found it and I was like, I will take that. And now it's probably okay. worth a, a, a pretty it, penny because it's like in wrap <laughs> with it's like twenty four ninety nine sale price sticker <laughs> still on the wrap. <laughs> so is that copy in Calgary or in Bristol? It's in Calgary. Yeah. Um, where do you? Where, yeah. Where, what's your address? <laughs> <laughs> uh, get off my weird Nintendo stuff. Yeah, it was it was a very odd trip home. Um, where it's like, oh. I mean, and I was there for a while, but just not quite enough to like put things on eBay. While, yeah, but well, I also found yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that I had left there that they needed to get rid of, and so I donated to Value Village. Right. You know, swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Hey. Um, Lucy, did you have a game you wanted to talk about? No, I'm still thinking about Metroid Dread and how I don't want to play anything else. Um. And I just haven't had time, so I'm good. I want to ask a question. <laughs> go for it. To the guys. Yeah, go for it. Yep. Since, as you say, like, music, one of your earliest passions, let's keep it with video games. What what, what, what are the best soundtracks um, in video games even now? Or... Is, uh, I mean, if we're going to keep it old school, difficult, but very uh, good question. I, I mean, for me, the things that immediately strike me as... Some of my earliest and strongest memories related to music are RPGs. So Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VI and Chrono Trigger are like way up there. Yeah. Um, and even more recently, Near Automata for me has an utterly amazing soundtrack that I, I really enjoy. So yeah. uh, th- those are like the games that whenever someone just says like game music to me, they like immediately pop into my mind. I don't know if Curtis, you had a a different initial reaction i mean for me i think the one that had a big influence uh and still to this day i have a lot of respect for is there you know the metroid the super yeah. metroid soundtrack yes. it's beautifully that evocative and it's yeah. very strange um in this mm-hmm. really interesting way it has like these kind of mellotron voices that it uses throughout and it gives this incredible sense of like the world and everything and the strangeness of it but also the beauty of it um, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff that I, you know, we're still trying to channel in a way to this day <laughs> is this kind of strange beauty. Like that's, that's just my jam. I'm, I'm very much into that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That, that was the one, um, you know, a bit disappointing thing about Dread where it's like the soundtrack was, I mean, you're never going to get as good as Super Metro, but I think it was just a bit underwhelming, but, um, yeah, like I, don't play RPGs. I'm not a fan of them. Like generally, <laughs> I didn't grow up with them. I think that's most of the um the reason why. But like, I will absolutely just listen to Final Fantasy music all day. Like, I have no affinity with that franchise whatsoever. <laughs> but like, playing one of those songs, it's just like yes, this it is you know the peak that Super Metroid is. So. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of the things that I really love about um, Spotify, to be honest. Not to be a shill for a corporation that doesn't pay artists enough, but like getting having access to like the like, pe- the fact that so many video video game and movie scores are just like there, and like not mm-hmm. just the uh, not just the soundtrack, but the scores to, and stuff. Because 
Well, why not? We might get a few pennies instead of nothing because no one's bought the backlog of CDs that are in Big Joe's lot. <laughs> um, like, it's really great, but also you then get, like, because they're more accessible, you've got some really mm-hmm. cool... Especially in gaming, just because of the overlap, like like uh, like you guys of people who are musicians and gamers, you get really cool remixes, and a lot is being done with, especially because of the um, like you said, the Chrono Triggers and the Final Fantasy Sixes, like the limitations of the the SNES and the Genesis chips on what they could do means that there's so much more you can like extrapolate and like do. And I've heard some really compelling versions of the bleeps and bloops. I, I don't mean to diminish how good those soundtracks sounded, but you know what I mean? Like just like the, the, the limit, the, the, there was like a ceiling on what they could do. And they did a lot of really great music that moved people and is memorable like super Metroid. And then to have people have all the technology of today or even just orchestra like or instrumentation or whatever just do that yeah. but different it just it's it blows my mind and it's like always interesting even if even if just that and i think the, the attachment to i know i recognize this from game i played is different from oh this is someone playing a classical piece in a really interesting way like I, there's a different type of attachment because you were involved when you were hearing the music and it was sort of part of your performance of the game if you will and so like i I find that some like a remix of a game that i've played is very different from even a song i like because of that anyway yeah Yeah, i mean there's some great renditions music like sorry those bleeps and bloops as you call it those midi bleeps and bloops like I think Konami were doing it better than anyone back in those days, and it's just like, yeah, I'll just go listen to like some randos who's got like ten views on YouTube's like cover of Bloody Tears. Why not? It's I was saying good. Anyway, I just put that up on Twitter actually. Awesome. <laughs> Castlevania is another good one. I should have said that. Uh, Castlevania yeah. is amazing. Um, but you know, in defense of the bleeps and bloops, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't attacking. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Um, we, we love. I think that you're you're right when you say limit. When you're talking about limitations, I think that's totally right because you know we were talking about conceptual stuff before, and I think just for uh you know when you're being creative, I think one of the biggest roadblocks to making something is the kind of like blank page, right? If you're like actually writing the sheet music, but you know just like the starting from nothing is extremely difficult. It's way better if you have something that gets you going. So limitations are really good for that. Concepts are also really good for that. So I think that um, the limitations of the systems inspired a lot of really beautiful, oops, sorry, a lot of beautiful music you would not have gotten otherwise. Yeah. And it's the kind of music that really is built for that instrument. You know, like those are like beautiful instruments that have certain voices and they're playing with them. So I do like to hear other versions. I like to hear other versions of all sorts of music, including um game music but a lot of i have to admit a lot of times i do think it maybe loses a little bit of the original energy you know like i i was just listening to different for like i heard every single like remix version of bloody tears back to back in some youtube video recently <laughs> yeah. and i was like you know what the original is just that one's fire like, every, yeah. <laughs> like everything else like, that's pretty the good but the original is really good um yeah yeah yeah, what I, what I would add I'm to that is that. just from a like kind of composer perspective, just a little music geeky for a moment. Um, 
Curtis is absolutely right that the limitations are a lot of the reason why the music sounds the way that it does. Like today, we don't have those same limitations. Back then, they were working with a fixed number of voices that a fixed number of kind of oscillators that they can use. They only had certain kinds of effects that they could do. Um, And even a a certain number of like notes that could be playing at the same time. What that meant is you were forced into writing in a certain kind of way. Like you had like one noise track or maybe two, uh, depending on, on the console, right? So you were kind of forced into this place where you had a, a, a kind of forced fixed polyphony that meant that if you wanted to like have some more complex harmony, so you think of back to something like a, a Chrono Trigger or a, a Final Fantasy VI, one of the interesting things about that music is they're using a lot of extended harmony. So these are things like major seventh chords or ninth chords. Uh, and the thing is, there's a lot of notes in those chords. More notes than there are voices in the consoles that they're using. So mm. they're using a lot of tricks in order to kind of evoke this complex harmony where they're doing certain kinds of oscillations or arpeggiation. So you'll get this music where it's doing this do 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 And it's like, it's beautiful, but also they literally can't play that chord without doing that. It's not possible on the console. So oh, it's, it's kind of forced them, like you, you can imagine you're like, you're some, you know, composer way back in the 80s and you're playing all this stuff is like he's talking to like the programmer and then he's like playing these things he's like hey can i do that and the programmer's like no <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> like, okay uh well, let me think okay well, can i do this and there's this interesting feedback loop with the technology that forced them to write in a certain way that nowadays because you can do whatever you want i feel like mu- music and games lately has become much less melodic actually um, because they have so much access to interesting timbral palettes, they can lean on a sample set or they can lean on just some big, you know, fancy sound effect or some big effect, like, you know, some, from some orchestral thing to sound a certain way. Mm. Whereas, you know, back on like a Super Nintendo or a Nintendo, if you wanted your piece to sound grandiose or to sound epic, right? You have the same firepower that everybody else does. If the Final Fantasy game wanted to sound more epic than a different game, they had to do it with just notes. Like, that's it. And so they got, I feel yeah. like, a lot more creative, and they forced themselves to really be thinking about the melodies that they're writing, about the harmonies, the the inner voices, how they interlock, counterpoint. Uh, there's, there's a lot there. It's, it's, it's super interesting. I think limitations are yeah, one of the best creative kind of devices. It also strangely kind of aligns with Baroque music. Like, mm-hmm. because of the counterpoint aspect of it, like Chad was talking about, and the, all the arpeggios, uh, if you go back and you listen to harpsichord music, there's a lot of crossover between game music and uh, mm. and Baroque harpsichord music. So, kind of strange. <laughs> just just because similar limitations, like happenstance. Yeah, I mean, back then it was like, um, there wasn't, with a harpsichord, definitely you could smash all the keys at the same time if you wanted, but uh, there weren't right. technical limitations. It was more just like aesthetic limitations. Well, I would also say the, the difference is that the instrument uh, itself has a really short decay. So, whereas like That's on true. a piano, you can hold down the sustain pedal and you can get a good chord that'll that'll sustain for a while. But a harpsichord is just like dink, dink, dink. Right, so if you want this kind of rolling, right. big, kind of enveloping chord, the only way that you can do it is like you you kind of have to keep arpeggiating right. the notes. So I, w- I would say it is oh, a technical limitation. Um, so you you guys have just reminded me 
that um i i mean big ff7 fan i agree ff6 is technically better but i ff7 hit me at the right time like i i i, I fully like acknowledge that like a, the narrative is more interesting and like i think it's a like a tighter game in in a lot of ways uh six but seven just was my introduction to final fantasy outside of the original nest cart <laughs> which we never got past the first boss because we didn't understand me and my sisters that you had to grind <laughs> to play so we just like ah like we we only had a couple encounters with goblins we got to the castle sweet oh we got to the boss massacre <laughs> And it was like, I don't know what to do. This game's busto. Uh, versus, oh, we're supposed to spend an hour and a half in the forest. Anyway, that was my sidebar to my sidebar. Um, FF7 Remake came out. Phenomenal game. Really appreciated the approach to the remake not being a full... not. It's not a remaster. We'll put it that way. Um, it's definitely doing other things, and I think in a good way made it exciting to play while still balancing the nostalgia but one of the things i didn't like was the the orchestral version of the soundtrack i found it oddly dull um and this is why why you reminded me of like that like something you were saying uh in the defense of the the bleeps and bloops and it's like ah i i loved ff7 soundtrack so much of i've played that game so much that like so many of those uh, melodies are in my brain, but hearing them in the remake, but not... Did, did they get a live orchestra? I thought that was the whole thing with that game. They didn't have yeah. a live orchestra for it or something like that. Or... I'm not I, sure. I, actually. Uh, I uh, don't know, but yeah, I played through it and it was absolutely... I had the same sort of um, feeling about it, which was that all the melodies and everything got very muted, you know, because all the instruments are yeah. very, you know, action-packed, jammed. Um, in the original, uh, but then everything got kind of smoothed over uh, in the remake because the, the orchestra is very, very big. There is a lot of repetitions of instruments, so it tends to smooth over detail. Um, yeah, if you want something that's punchier, what? Muted. Right. So, yeah. what generally what you will do if you're if you're like a classical composer, you want something really punchy, you write for string quartet. A string quartet, each instrument's really going to come through, and all the attacks are going to be very apparent. But when you blow it up to an orchestra, uh, you know, the attacks become much more muted. Everything gets the kind of gets smoothed over a bit. And that's how I felt about that music, because I actually thought it would have been more appropriate to a smaller ensemble if that's what you wanted to do. But maybe the most appropriate ensemble was the original, you know, console. <laughs> it was on in the, some the chip. Yeah. And yeah, also, I mean, like, I have to admit, like, the stylistic kind of changes where it's like, we're going to take a piece and then make it like a jazz rendition. I don't know. Maybe mm. I'm just an old man, so I'm sorry if I'm like sounding like old man yells at cloud or something. I, I remember there was some controversy about the the orchestral like piece in Final Fantasy VII Remake, though. I just can't remember what it is. I don't know if it was the way they recorded it or the way they put it into the game, or but I know there was some definitely something, and that's why people were like saying mm, it doesn't quite hit. So. I thought it was just that it was it wasn't the old soundtrack. I, I I heard something. I mm. can't remember what it is. So don't quote me. But yeah, there there, there were complaints. About it, so that's fair. I mean, my complaint is very simple. I just think it, it was yeah. flatter, right. and you've you've explained why it sounds flatter, um, which is really interesting because I don't have that knowledge, and now I do. So thanks. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, for these big melodies that are really sweeping, 
an orchestra can be really good because you get like you know 10 violin players playing that that melody or even in harmony and it has this kind of rich and fullness that you cannot capture with a single violin uh, because there's mm. a there's a combination of slight timing differences even when the players are extremely good there's going to be some slight timing differences and then on top of that um, right there's going to be slight tuning differences on the frequencies so there's both a temporal and a frequency kind of uh, kind of mm. smattering that's happening kind of a cloud right and so you get this really full, wash, yeah. bigger than life sound on the melodies. Uh, but because of that, like Curtis was saying, the, the rhythms become a little bit less uh, tacky. Whereas like on a string quartet, you get the inverse, the attacks are really tight. So if you've ever listened to something by Bartok, he's got this really amazing, super rhythmic music. It's like metal, but on string quartet, it's amazing. Um, but, you know, the melody isn't maybe going to be, you know, gonna sound like it's coming from a movie because it's just like a, gonna be like a single viola or a single violin that's playing the hell out of right. it but it, it just doesn't sound like supernatural <laughs> right i could listen to you two talking that music all day i, I mean yeah I'm i was gonna picking say. up on probably like 25 percent of what you mean <laughs> but it's just all super fascinating you know well chad yeah. likes to talk it's so. just like tone deaf like me <laughs> Uh, I go uh, now. You've piqued my curiosity. Now I'm curious what 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 instruments do you guys play? I so, my main um, instrument is guitar, um, but also play piano. Um, I can play trumpet, although at this point it's it's gotten rather rusty. Same thing with euphonium uh, and some various like percussion and stuff. There's but a rusty trumpet joke there that I'm not going to yeah, make. Yeah, guitar is like my main thing. <laughs> Curtis. Okay. Yeah, I played bass and contrabass. When we first started, um, you know, I... Wait, is that just the bass line from Contra? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, you were saying. That's all he knows how to play, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like, I play bass, but only only this. Only this. Uh... Um, yeah, so when we first started playing, uh, you know, I learned trombone, Chad learned trumpet, and like we were just young kids, and we we wanted to play like a cool instrument, so um, we were learning those instruments in school, you know, for band. So we taught ourselves uh, guitar and bass, and um, Chad learned guitar because he knew the treble clef, and I learned bass because I knew the bass clef. Uh, that's that's how it all got started. <laughs> but I picked nice. up contrabass after that. Um, I at one point played the banjo. That's all I've got. It's a great instrument. Good instrument. Yeah, I, I've wanted to to pick it up a bit. I had a friend. We we had a friend back at Mills where we did our masters that um, played banjo. No, it seems like a, a an interesting instrument. It has a kind of similar limitation as the harpsichord, right? Where it's got this really limited sustain, so it kind of forces you to keep you know playing, keep the activity going. Uh, and there was actually yeah there was another band there was like kind of a noise folk band that would play with like banjo and they would sing it would be like it was like two people singing like banjo and i think maybe like a bass mandolin or something like this and it was an interesting duo oh interesting yeah i mean yeah the the trick to the banjo is just learning the roll patterns and then realizing that like boy there's not a lot of chord changes to most banjo music it's it it just sounds complicated because you're hitting 
a lot of notes. But you're hitting those notes in a very straightforward manner. Yeah. Like, oh. And also a lot of like hammer-ons and pull-offs and drills and things. Yeah. You know. It reminds me tricks. of a... I saw a video on... Or no, a tweet. Yeah, it was a tweet on Twitter, of course. From a composer who had <laughs> who was a piano player, like many composers are, um, but sort of picking up guitar, and he said that he had always wondered why so much guitar music was in E, and then like immediately the first <laughs> moment that he picks up a guitar, he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and for non-guitar players out there, uh, the bottom and top strings are, are the note E, so just all the music in E, basically. Yeah. I can maybe play Free Blind Mice on the piano. <laughs> So, that's pretty that's good as much as i can do it's better than the mic just, the, just literally the first like few seconds but that's about it yeah i grew up no, playing sure. piano i can find the c so hey, that's good. <laughs> that it's the only one you need and that's about it so yeah i mean i hope I, this you know what this uh game we we stuck mostly to like a standard tuning i'm hoping next time uh we can do something that's a bit standard because uh, there are all sorts of tunings you can do that don't follow like the normal pitches that you get on a piano. They follow these th- different sorts of mathematical ratios, um, or even non-mathematical really... ones. Yeah. So I, I don't know. You guys as well. You're with uh, like Indonesian gamelan, for example. It's beautiful. No, but please. It's it's basically there are these ensembles that have these keyed instruments that you play with mallets and these big gongs. And the music is performed by an ensemble of like 20 or 30 people. They'll also have like a drum that like helps direct it and sometimes a a string player. And it's amazing music. But the super interesting thing about it is that historically each ensemble was kind of uh, based in like a village, right? And they were hand making these things, of course, for a long time because that's, you know, how, how the only way you could do it. Uh, and for that reason, the tuning of the instruments for each particular villages uh gamelon is different so there's not like a consistent tuning but at the same time there is some kind of consistency roughly so there's these things called like paylog mm. and slindro which are like the two main tunings that they use but still any particular villages gamelon's paylog will be slightly different than each other's That's fascinating. yeah and and all yeah, so the instruments are built I mean, it's just cool because, like, it can't be played on Western instruments. Like, the music just cannot be played on the piano at all. Uh, kind of amazing. Interesting. I'm going to have to look this up because it sounds <laughs> incredible. Yeah. It reminds just, me of... Uh, Go on. No, no, after you. Oh, just like, it reminds me of... Um, so, in... Um, 05? I don't remember. Many years ago... Uh, I was traveling through North Africa and, uh, I, in Morocco, I bought a gimbri, mm-hmm. which is a North African stringed instrument, like a traditional stringed instrument, which is like a hollowed out tree, like trunk with camel back stretched over it. And then goat intestine strings. Yeah. And it's, um, three strings, uh, and it's just like a pole, right. like yeah. just yeah. a pole, and then like leather thongs, like tying the strings. Uh, and there's two at the top of the pole, and then one a third of the way down. The reason I did was I was like, oh, I know how to connect things in history. This is one of the precursors of the banjo because the banjo obviously came from Africa originally. Um, 
because of course it has a high string and two low strings. Um, but but tuning that is like trying to push these like really tightly tied leather thongs right. to stretch out this piece of goat intestine, and you just kind of make it so that it works with itself and do a thing that is music, (laughs) but in a completely divorced way from my, I grew up getting piano lessons and then I had to dabble with the guitar and then I found the banjo. Like it was just like a, huh. And it was very freeing because there's just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not great at music. So it's not like I could easily be like, ah, I can now translate things like, and like, there's no frets, obviously. So it's just like, wherever you put your, try and pin down on this thin piece of tree, one of the, the strings such that you'll get tone and then just make the thing, make music. And it was really interesting. And unfortunately it got broken during one of my moves. Um, one of the strings broke, uh, uh, and, um, yeah, it was just not easily repairable in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I imagine. Yeah, I think, I think my friend plays that. Uh, huh. Beautiful sounding instruments. Yeah, yeah I mean, Sounds one great. thing that I'll say is there's, there's an interesting that happened in Western music, at least, where we instituted this concept of, uh, equal temperament. And it's it's interesting in that it's both the technical evolution, but I also think in some ways kind of we lost something in, in the process. So I don't know like how familiar you might be with, with Bach's music, but there's a really famous collection of pieces he has called The Well-Tempered Clavier. And it, the reason why it's called The Well-Tempered Clavier is because it was a collection of pieces particularly using um, uh, instruments that were tuned in equal temperament. Before, they were using like mean tone or something closer to a just intonation. But the problem with those kinds of tunings is that it means that when you modulate keys from the like bass tuning of the instrument, it gets more and more out of tune for that key. So equal temperament was a kind of technological evolution that would allow you to play in any key on the instrument and have it be equally out of tune, right? <laughs> that, that was like the main evolution. <laughs> right, yeah, so yeah. like your octaves are always going to be uh, doubled, but you know, your perfect fifth isn't quite exact. Your perfect fourth, your seventh, these ratios are a little bit fudged to be equal divisions of the octave rather than the perfect overtones that you expect from the harmonic series. Um, but the advantage is that you can do this modulation. That's why you listen to a lot of box music and it'll have these like fugues that are modulating across all these different keys, playing all these different melodies. Um, and it was, he was kind of experimenting at the time with this new idea about like, oh, I can, I can do all these different keys. Um, but I think the thing that's lost is nowadays we're stuck with this equal temperament. And a lot of our music that we write again, in like more Western music is this kind of fixed thing. We stay mainly in one key, but we still use this equal temperament. So I feel like we, we both have the, the restrictions of equal temperament being maybe not an ideal tuning for like a particular key. But don't even use it for the thing that it's really good for, which is like modulation. Mm. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I can see how you did a PhD <laughs> on like music. <laughs> oh man, now you've brought up a can of worms. Uh, now I'm because I want to press you guys. I, you mentioned music and informatics or music and technology, but. Uh, that means a lot of things. 
uh and to me very little in, in one sense like so i'm curious like obviously uh you're long away from that but i'm just curious as to what like what that what that research was was like and like what does it mean to work in those fields? Just give a flavor for what the research is, because uh, also you mentioned that you were working on an open source library, et cetera. But I'm just more curious, just like, okay, so what what, what did you do? Like, you guys are clearly music heads. <laughs> um, and now I'm like, have at, you, you've, you've got a captive audience. Uh, you know, I would say that the language thing definitely played into it, because we, what we were doing is uh, we were coming out of, like we said before, a kind of compositional performance tradition. Uh, and it's a kind of tradition of people who are experimenting, really. You know, so like way back when, you know, Bach was experimenting with things. And nowadays, we're still banging things around to see what we can do with it, you know. So this is just the same sort of thing. Uh, this uh, it was about 10 years ago. So what we were really banging around with at the time with, uh, you know, ways of performing with computers, the life performance was like a really large component. So how can you, you know, like the questions were like, how can you perform with a computer live? And what kind of music does that perform? And what kind of things can it do? And how's that different than like a traditional instrument? So one of the things that you could do that our professors did, uh, they started doing this way back in the 70s, um, is this you can actually network the computers and you could create these kind of musical systems that interact with each other uh, like a really low level so like you can't have for instance in a normal ensemble you couldn't have your guitar sending messages to the piano and then them like interact with each other on the instrument level right like, that's not possible but that's a thing you can do on the computer you could have two people playing uh two different computers and their systems could be interacting with each other and communicating with each other in this really integral way. So uh, they called that, I mean, there was different names for it. The kind of name that you'll see for it these days is like network computer music. That sounds kind of, eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you should go check out uh, the League of Automatic Music Composers because they do, this was back in the late 70s, and they were doing the bloop bloop because that's all they had back then. They were using computers way back then and you'll notice, like, man, this actually sounds like a Nintendo exploding. <laughs> it's it all like a Commodore 464, like, melting. Um, it's, um, it's very experimental, right, just to give you a heads up. But it's, it's really amazing. Um, and so we were doing the same sorts of things, only we were exploring. Um, Chad was making um, a programming language that would do live coding. So you would actually be programming the music on stage. And then have, our computers would be connected to each other. And we'd be each programming our own system and our systems would be interacting with each other. And then we also had these like visualization systems that were based off of the music as well. It was almost like a third performer, right? That was like keyed off like the messages that were floating around. Um, and yeah, so now we, we're using the same thing to this day uh, to make music for this game. It's probably like totally not appropriate. <laughs> it's not kind of what it was meant for, but that's how we make music. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> Did you want to say something more about it? Chuck? Yeah. I mean, I would say, so the live coding language, uh, stuff is, is certainly part of it, but another big part of it was, uh, kind of 3d environments. So this is how we got into the games industry. So we don't have computer science degrees, right? But somehow we both, ended up with engineering degrees and or sorry engineering jobs in the industry at one point and in 
the reason why is because as we were developing our kind of aesthetic and, and figuring out the kind of music that we wanted to make, it became more and more technical. We became more interested in these more difficult to achieve things. And a big part of that was this idea of collaboration. So like my PhD and, and same with Curtis's was very focused on collaborative computer music. And a lot of computer music is is just you by yourself. You kind of hit play or hit record and that's it. And we wanted something that was a lot more interactive, a lot more live that felt more like, you know, maybe the jazz sensibility or, or noise music sensibility, but with a computer music performance. And so we were building 3D environments that were the instrument itself that you collaborated with as long as, as well as like a visualization. So you get this crazy 3D environment and you're like, you know, for example, to give you an idea of one of them, there was one called Sugoth that I made that was a series of these islands in space that would change shapes as you controlled them. So they had all these different kind of topologies, but the topologies drove a wave terrain synthesis. So it would change the timbre as well as there's different kinds of chains of sequences you could make that would derive, that would play on the terrain itself. So it both changed the rhythm of the music and the sound of the music as you manipulated these things. And you had four different people, like we were in this band, me and Curtis called Glitchlish. And we would do these performances. You have four different people <laughs> just piling these things on and moving them around and deleting them and changing things. It just becomes like utter chaos, right? It's all about just trying to figure out in the moment what anybody's doing. You get all of these accidental interactions. There's a lot of feedback. You know, we talk about feedback, a lot of feedback that's happening. So, you know, you'll, you'll do something and it'll have this chain effect of like, causing something else to start going crazy. And then somebody hears that and they'll change something else. So, that was like the main energy that we wanted to channel, which is this really exciting live interactive experience, but in this 3D environment. Um, and then from there, we we learned, you know, the technical skills that we needed, like linear algebra and C++, that kind of thing, to then get into industry. And nowadays for the music that we're writing, it's a little bit less, I would say, about like the live aspect of it, because now we're focused on on games music. Um, but I would say the sensibility of the kind of channeled chaos and the kind of unexpected is definitely still a, a really big part of the our artist. Very yeah, cool. I'm really interested to hear music in your <laughs> game, especially. <laughs> Are you going to have a separate soundtrack released alongside of it, or...? You that or? Uh, yeah, I mean, we will see. Uh, it would be cool <laughs> if there's interest for it. I think we would definitely do it. I mean, at the very least, I think nice. we can throw it up on Bandcamp and, and let people listen to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or like a deluxe edition mm-hmm. that Steam often has. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of uh, Call for It, um, I'm, I'm curious as, as you guys like have been developing for a while, but like this is your first game, do you do, you do the like community interaction thing i know it's like you're getting to the point where it releases next year mm-hmm. right like i've known <laughs> so um like yeah are you or do you have like a discord or like um are you interacting yet with the community i know you just sort of when when did the trailer come out it's like I, a month ago. Yeah. it was like yeah yeah, yeah so like reasonably recently but that that was that's i'm assuming there was the big hey we exist <laughs> right, push yeah. right yeah yeah, exactly. Um, so, are you? So, do you have sort of more of a interaction with the community thing? Slash, are you planning on that? Or are you happy to be your vision together? Here's what we made. 
I mean, yeah, it's interesting, uh, just that whole vibe, because, you know, we come from a background of composers where you kind of make the thing and you put it out in front of people or, or you improvise the thing on stage. So it's interesting now that it's actually become standardized. We're, we're making this thing where it's standardized, where you have this like dialogue with your, your community. And I think, um, we don't necessarily come from a background where that was the normal thing to do. Uh, I would say for this game, um, we are definitely going to have uh, a beta test. So we're going to have a beta test, we're going to have beta testers, and we're going to be putting it through some some testing and definitely getting feedback from people. Uh, I don't know, I don't think we'll have like an open beta test though. It's just, yeah. it doesn't, this game yeah, in particular yeah. doesn't really lend itself to that because there's like these story elements. It's like, in some ways, we made like kind of the worst possible game for like the modern uh, social media system because it's got like narrative and puzzles. You can't like spoil either of those. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're so like engineered the worst possible thing to put on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we're definitely going to get feedback, especially on the, the puzzle aspect of it to make sure that we haven't made something impossible for people, but that it's actually fun and, you know, intellectually engaging. Um, but yeah, you can find us on, uh, Twitter, uh, recursive ruin, uh, Dr. Chad McKinney, Dr. Kurt McKinney. Um, you can find us on Steam. We got a Steam page. You can find us there. Uh, you can definitely wishlist us. Uh, <laughs> we would like that a lot. Please I hope we get to make another yep. game, and uh, that would help towards that goal. Yeah, I mean, to the community aspect, I would say that um, we we don't we we do show some like in progress things because um, if you've seen the trailer, you'll you'll notice there's these crazy fractal visuals. So we'll put stuff out you know, working on that kind of stuff, but we can't be quite as open as Curtis was saying as some other games because our content is, you know, spoilers are pretty um, problematic for it. However, we're both very active on Twitter. So if you just are interested in talking to us and and hanging out or whatever, uh, Twitter is a really good place to do that. And, you know, I'm on there like probably too much. Uh, So if you just want to talk and like hang out, like for sure. Yeah. And a question maybe very specific to me, because um, <laughs> I suffer from really bad motion sickness. <laughs> uh, are you going to have any, like, just accessibility features, like changing field of vision, like having a reticle on screen, stuff like that? Yeah, it's a good question. So we've actually had a couple people that have noted that the game definitely uh, caused some motion sickness for them. Um, and I have to admit, it's not like an area I'm like super knowledgeable of it. Yeah. Of. So I've done a little bit of research. My plan is to do more, uh, but we've already put in some initial, you know, measures to try to mitigate it. So we added, um, you can change, you know, of course, like simple things like mouse sensitivity, because I can help yeah. some people. Uh, but we also changed it to where you can turn off, there's a depth of field effect. So you can turn off the depth of field. There's motion blur effect. You can turn off the motion blur. And we've got an adjustable field of view. So uh, those are the yeah, current I measures. Mean, uh, those are all the things <laughs> I look for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's perfect. Uh, you know, cool. we'll see. Maybe I can do more to help with it. But the beta testing yeah. will, will help us with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, was, oh, I wish I remembered the name of the organization. But there's an organization which um, they were just on. the One of their guys was just on the Besties podcast last week. Uh, um, Able Game? Yeah, Steven's what's spawn. the name of the org? I think it is uh, just Able Gamers. Isn't yeah, it? Amber, I think it's Able Gamers. Yeah, Able Gamers. They because they 
they have um like a like a slide deck slash like a the way Steve was describing it was like what they bring to companies is like uh hey here are like these are the, the these terms and these are these standard basically out of the blocks this is a solution like this is how you solve the problem rather than be like there are disabled people right. and there's a bunch of disabilities what do i do and it's it seems like an out of the box thing uh i will show for uh, a, a, another podcast yeah the, the the latest episode of the besties which is available in all the things um they they sat the one where they sat with steve was really informative because i also yeah. didn't know anything about it and i think one of the things Steve was saying was just like it's a lot of it is just getting the ideas in front of people and the what what that able gamers is about is getting the ideas in a digestible format in front of devs right because it's not like people don't want people to right. play their yeah. games um so yeah i mean it, it, that uh, i think that's just worth looking to and also i think that discussion was really interesting for for anyone who yeah. who wants to it. to know i i think yeah it was it hit the right points of interesting and not going over too many details, but saying like giving a good picture of why one might want to develop or incorporate um, accessibility options earlier in the development cycle, et cetera. And it just was like a, an interesting conversation. So as a fan of those, I will recommend that. Yeah. I will. Um, right. We're, past two hours but i did want to talk about a game uh that i played this week because uh it's i think because all four of us are old <laughs> um and we have less time uh like a pick up and play interesting game is really uh is is a thing that we want to look for and uh also it's uh a friend of mine uh is on the team uh as Joined Bunny Hug a couple of years ago. It's called uh, oh God. Now I've got it wrong. Moon Glow Bay. Oh, thank you, Moon Glow Bay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's I, a... I, sta I started it because I, I yes. thought you'd, you'd speak about it uh, today, and yeah, I thought the old angle was like uh, this game features you play as an old person, basically, well, quote unquote old person. I mean, yeah. it's got a it's got a, like a like a uh, a voxely ish aesthetic, except it's more of like the blocks are to the point of like several blocks for like a curl of hair. So you get like interesting hairstyles, but still pretty blocky bodies. Um, but you, because of that, you get like patterns on shirts, but not that like evoke texture, but not really. So it's, it's definitely an inter a really cool aesthetic. It, it uh, but yeah, like the tourist, if anyone played that, um, hmm, tourist yeah. Yeah, um, detail box. And it is a, uh, it's a narratively driven fishing RPG set in 1980s Nova Scotia. Well, sorry, Eastern Canada, uh, uh, where basically the game start opens with mild spoilers for the first 10 minutes of the game. It opens with you as already an old um, and your partner. And what's really cool is you've got like four different olds to pick from. Uh, and you pick your pronouns, and then you of the remaining three, you pick your partner, so you can have various couplings, and you pick their pronouns as well. Um, and then basically, you've moved to Eastern Canada to Moon Glow Bay to 
in your retirement years start a fishing company like you're gonna fish and you're gonna make food that's that's what you and your partner have decided to do uh but moon globe has a weird supernatural element slash aggressive aquatic life uh and then you and then again spoiler alert here uh you wake up like a three years later um and alone in bed and you and you like are crying at the a Polaroid of your partner and you realize that they passed. And then you basically find out that something happened in a boat with your partner and no one is fishing in this fishing village. Uh, and you are trying to drum up business and your daughter visits. And then the RPG is basically got a nice little loop with investing in the town such that people and tourists will buy your, fish-based cuisine <laughs> so there's like a fishing and then cooking cooking is a, a series of mini games like tap at the right time to chop things or fry chopping frying washing they're all like a small bit of mini games but it's like pick the recipe I failed at like four of those uh, <laughs> yeah <six. laughs> uh you guess my vod uh later this week on youtube to see what the first hour or so of the game is but it's just really charming and one of the things that I really like about it turns out never fished in my life. Boy, do I like f- fishing in games. I think it's the like to make fishing work. It's got to be meditative and relaxed because that's what fishing is. That's why people like it. Um, it's why I didn't fish much in Hades, though I did a bit because it's just like I don't pick up Hades to be in the world and just hang out and like, oh, I've stopped fighting. Let me, oh, I can fish because there's water here. Like, it was the Is one time I... Is man? You, can't, yeah. you ain't got time for fishing. <laughs> exactly. It was the one time fishing in the game felt like, well, this is never going to happen. But like, even in like Final Fantasy XIV, uh, when I played that earlier this year for a bit, um, boy, did I like spend two days just, ah, I'm going to level <laughs> up my fisher person. I, I burned my like double xp or whatever on leveling up my fisher person like skill because you've got stealth i could just walk around places that like i'm not i'm under level four and just and it's a really simple mechanic where uh you cast that's like hold it to cast further away obviously the fish are more likely to bite if it's further away and then if the fish is tugging this way, you pull the pole that way. But you also have basically what I call reef. Like you just you tug uh, and you'll like drag it closer to you. So you have to time it with the right angle and then you've got it. That's fishing. And then there's different lures and different baits. Uh, but you have – you opened up the present your partner left – gave to you before they passed away because you had not opened it for years. And it's a fishing journal. And then you find out that, like, time of day matters, area of the world, like, cold water, warm water, etc. There's, like, I've explored, I found, like, more arctic frozen water, and I found a little warmer waters, and I've, like, explored, and there's, like, more areas to go in my boat, because I bought my boat back. And it's just really charming, but at the end of the day, like... It's got a day-night cycle, uh, but what? And there's like tasks you can do inside if you'd like the RPG element. But really, you could also just like probably not do a lot of the town stuff and just you got the day. I'm just gonna go out and I'm gonna 
catch some things to make bait out of, make bait, make a couple of fish and chips, put them in the vending machine that's outside of my my house, <laughs> and then just fish. And what I liked, so like when I played it for the stream, it was, I was trying to see all the things. And so it was a little more like, oh, now I'll do, like I will just follow all the patterns and explore all the things. But I, I've i played it Sorry. since then, and uh, I've just been like, ah, eh, I'll just fish all day. <laughs> <laughs> I've got quests. Yeah, I don't really yeah, care about those uh, quests. It seems like something that like balances the rights. You know, has a nice balance between you can get quite into like the the RPG mechanics and the, like the uh, you know I need to fish at eight PM on this day to catch this tusk or this ling or whatever, or I can just just chill out and fish. And uh, I think I'll probably like go through this story and just main it and just not be too concerned about filling out my fish journal and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah, someone who's eating a lot of fish now is like, oh, I know what a ling is. <laughs> that. So that's all I want to do. I just want to cook all the fish, really. Even though I think those mini games would get annoying. Like, <laughs> so what I, time or something. what I like is some of the min- some of the dishes are really simple. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, cut, fry. Or cut bait. Oh, okay. Some of them are really complicated. There's like Elaborate. five steps, um, and so oh, that makes things a bit nicer. Then cool. Yeah. I'm so then you can kind of just choose, like, if you want to min max the money, because there's also a market. So certain dishes will be on a day might be give you yield you more cash or less cash. But if you're not actually trying to min max the game, you can be like, hey, I don't really like cooking. Fish and chips is just cut fry bucket right like you can do that it's fine it does then it doesn't even matter what you catch right like but also if you are a person who's a completionist there's like a basically an aquarium and if you give one sample of each thing to the aquarium it's very animal crossing right vibes um that gets more information but then the like the marine biologist who runs the aquarium will give you more information about that fish if you give it to them and so you get so there's like a give and take on that. There's like I like that it tells you more information. What, so yeah, if I you want it. to fish, you still have an incentive, even if you give two shits about the aquarium, to like <laughs> do that, right? Um and there's a neat thing that I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, which is you talk to the random people in town and they're like, Oh, have you heard about this fish? And then they say some nonsense and then you get like in blue text fish calls like the couch potato <laughs> and then it adds it to your journal but then i think when you give it to the marine biologist sometimes the name switches so like okay. there was a square fish that was white that i caught in the in the frozen waters and it was i caught dave mm-hmm. okay. you caught dave. i caught dave <laughs> yeah and then yeah. that was really charming until i caught dave again and i had two daves um but then that's awkward i i yeah, I gave one Dave to Marina because that's what they called the name of the marine <laughs> biologist. Because sometimes humor can be on the nose, um, and and then the next time I caught something that had the same icon as Dave, I assumed it was a Dave, but it was like it had some other name. So I'm pretty sure what happened was she was like, "Oh yeah, the townspeople call them Daves, but here's what the real thing is." And so I've updated my it's journal. Bluefin tuna, really. Yeah. yeah, so I really like like those like light touches that just give it more depth, right? So. For example, if you even if you just want to know, feel more scientific or whatever, you're going to give Marina things like yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's it's really fun in the, like a laid back way and like very pick up put downable. Uh, my yeah. only regret is that it's not on Switch. 
I think it like. <sighs> yeah, it, it, it maybe maybe it's coming to Switch, but I just I just just got it up on XCloud because it's on Game Pass, and I was just like, I was waiting for it to download on on my console, and I was like, oh, I just want to jump into this for five minutes, see what it is, and it's just like, yeah, I I want to play more of this when I'm in a relaxed state, and I can just, as you say, just fish. For <laughs> yeah and like because you have a boat and you travel around and like then you get different things like the, i'm i suffer from completionist tendencies so like oh it's a new area cool well the, i've got bait on me so i'm just gonna put this lure on no bait couple times then with bait couple times now i'll switch to this lure with bait without bait i have three lures we can do the maths, and it's like, oh, and that's when I realized, oh, I'm playing this wrong because that's my urge, but it's like, I don't want to have to be switching things, and I actually don't care if I optimally get all the things available here. And so the next new place I went to, I didn't even check. I was just like, oh, I've caught a cod. Neat. Uh, now a Pollock. Neat. And then I was fine, and I was like, oh, right, the... This is the type of game that I purposely don't want to engage my min maxi completionist brain because. But it always happens. It only inevitably happens. Yeah. I, I, except for that, my one brief dalliance with playing the turnip market online, engaging Twitter <laughs> on Animal Crossing. My Animal Crossing days, after I made a couple million, I just stopped worrying about that. Although, also, I haven't been back to that game in ages. You're I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think it's one of those things where it's worth, like, taking a step back and trying not to yeah. see the numbers in the game. But I know myself, and I'll probably <laughs> want to catch every single fish. Um, I got really hungry playing it as well. That's why I had to put it down, to be fair. You know, I mean, uh, and chips, you know. Yeah, I mean, did I you have that. anything? Go on. So I was just going to say, I have to admit for myself that that tends to be where I go. Either I want a game that has just like piles of numbers everywhere and I'm going to like go at it, like, you know, Caves of Food is like that. Or I yeah. want it to have no numbers at all and I'm not engaging, you know, with it on that level at all, you know, something else. So. Yeah, this this one's a bit in the middle, but I think uh, that's why I say I do think because there are numbers, you could fall into the trap, but I think the most enjoyable, at least for me, part of the game was um, not engaging with the numbers. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like with this cooking works. aspect to it, like that's the kind of thing that I probably would latch on to at least for a little while. I may not like min-max it and like, you know, optimize and get every single fish and exactly like that. But um, it would give me kind of a, a thrust to entertain, you know, it, leaning into this more meditative aspect of it for some time that's as opposed to like i played uh near the original that has a fishing aspect into it i really like the game but the fishing part is sounds very similar actually it has a really similar mechanic with with the stick and the fish pulling you and you pulling back and you you fight it and you pull it out right and and just kind of the raw experience is pretty good but um, it doesn't really do anything else beyond that so other than i think that maybe there's some like side quests that you can complete in particular via mm-hmm. fishing. And I think maybe you can make some money off of it or something, but that was never really an issue in the game. And so while it was like, it was kind of nice. I did it a few times. I didn't see why I would just go across the world. It, it felt like that's what the game was like. Hey, you can do that. You can go everywhere and fish everywhere. And I was like, but I, well, why? 
But this sounds like, you know, if I'm like, okay, but then I'm doing something with these fish, right? Well, now, okay, now I see yeah. some more reason to be doing it. Um, it's similar to Skyrim, where I wasn't necessarily interested in hunting or anything like that. But when I realized that it was maybe part of the loop for armoring, and, you know, it's not necessarily yeah. that I just wanted to have the best armor, but it was a nice kind of broad experience to go get a rabbit or whatever and then like skin it and make some armor out of it and then upgrade it and just this loop right so yeah it made it feel more integrated that's how that's how i think i'll play moonglow bay like sort of like like spirit fairer was it last year where it's like everything goes back into the ship so it even though I didn't need to 100% Spirit Fairer, I did because everything went back into the ship. And saving, well, not saving, like, you know, making those little animals pass over. So there you go. Even though I could have just mainlined right. the story. It's just like, I need, I need all those, I need all that maze. I, I will do that with certain <laughs> things. So, for example, um, Horizon Zero Dawn was a game that I nearly 100%ed, mm. and I, I almost never do that with games. The reason why is because I found one of the, um, the slight spoiler alerts, but there's these recordings that you can find from just before the um, whatever the end of the world. And I don't know, it was just super compelling to me just from a story aspect. And I just really wanted to yeah. explore that world more. To me, that was probably the most compelling part of the whole game was just that series of like little expositional kind of dialogues that you find of this person that just is kind of documenting right after the fall and that was kind of the thread that pushed me to be like okay well if i'm in the middle of this random place why, why not get this like lotus thing or whatever the, the flowers were and then you know get a few more of the things and I usually leave those kind of collectibles and stuff like that alone but the gameplay was so good and the story was so good and they had enough like lore and stuff in, in those elements that it made it feel really worthwhile and I just kind of want to live in that world more me too we're about dinosaurs there's nothing better you know I mean agreed <laughs> although also haven't finished that game yeah <laughs> oh get it, get it, getting day. the shake ahead ooh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, I, I, every week I out myself as a bad non-gamer because it's like, oh, I never really played that or didn't finish that or have a Steam collection in over 1,200, but I've finished seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Caves of, what is it, Cued is on Cued. your wish list oh. as well. So, is it? You know. You yeah, you said one one person wants this game. Oh, yeah, it is on my wish list. <laughs> and it was you. <laughs> yeah, it's always me. Uh, I've gotten better at not acquiring games if I don't have you time. Have. And have. Uh, one of the weird things is, is, is as, as, a, as a video game streamer person slash podcaster, now it's like, well, like, I have, I, I stream every Tuesday at noon BST. That's when I played, like, Moon Globe A. And it's like, ah. That means I play a game a week most weeks. But also, it's two to three hours of gaming. When do I have the time for the other things? Uh, which is again why, like, having the Switch and you make, like, playing games on a, on like a, uh, journey sounds great. Um, because then it's not a trade off of doing work because I can't really read that much on a train, yada, yada. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, 
have a question for you two now, which is, have we compelled you to look into Moonglow Bay slash... Do you have Games Pass? Because then it's free. I mean, I'd already been aware of the game. I was excited about it before you had. It. So I, I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Like I see a lot of indie games on there, and it just just the aesthetic yeah. alone made me want to play it. Um, right. Yeah. It just seems incredibly endearing. So. I think that's the a really good word for it. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do you guys do the Game Pass thing? Uh, as PC gamers, no. no should I? I should I? Know, unfortunately, I. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe I, I sell think me so. on that. We're, yeah. we're very big fans of Game Pass because it's like what, like nine quid a month, something like that. Well, Microsoft Rewards, you can get it for zero quid. <laughs> yeah, so Lucy oh, does the whole get all the reward points, and you have like three months of plus of backlog of points with Ultimate. <laughs> Yeah, I used to have years worth. Wow. <laughs> now it's 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 down to like two months, but it's like I can top that up at any time for free. So yeah. thanks Microsoft for being but a if big you... corporation and not missing my money. Yeah, so, uh, which is like doing a couple Bing searches a day, basically. But I I yeah. am a, I am not doing that, which I should because I don't have well, an you're, income. You know, you're giving physical money to the devs, so yeah, nothing wrong with that either. Um, but I mean, honestly, the library is really good, and like things like Moon Go, like we're at a point where there's enough saturation that, that like the devs of Moon Glow Bay put it on Game Pass. So I was, um, I was like, oh, maybe I'll like hit them up for a review code, and then they didn't respond. It's like oh, I'll play it on Game Pass, whatever. It seems like a cool game. I'll give them the free bet press, right? But like a bunch of games I was looking for, like Monster Train, uh, card based. Battler, I was also super in- interested in. It came out on Games Pass. Like, there's just basically take a look at the library, and then similar, especially indie, mid indie, mindy games, um, um, are are really. If anything, if you like similar game is probably coming to Game Pass. That seems to be the the trend. Uh, and then of course first party titles, and so like, uh, like all the Yakuza games came on the other month, and it's like ah, oh, that's represents. More than a year's <laughs> worth of gaming for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's it's something where it's like, not the jury's out on if whether this is a good thing or a bad thing overall for developers. But it seems like it's been a good thing so far for the majority. So, you know, um, I'll leave the uh, number crunching to, <laughs> to the people who know, and I, I just hope you know. Especially the smaller devs, you see how many, you know, like people cutting deals with Epic and stuff like that. How much the bigger devs are getting. I just hope it's a good deal for the smaller devs, and those games are reaching more. Which, like Oxenfree, um, we were talking about that earlier. Like, apparently their game sold even more after they put it out on, you know, Game Pass, and like they see that they see the value in it. So yeah, um, before Hawking Game Pass, it seems like. It's it's yeah. good for everybody. Yeah. As a, as a consumer, I can definitely recommend it, especially yeah. if you are interested in, like I said, the like Mindy games. For sure, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I will definitely check it out. Um. <laughs> when you have time after you, yeah. finish, <laughs> you finish your game, 
I mean, that's part of the issue. So, like, I mean, the, yeah. the issue is just simply that I don't get as much time to hardcore play. But yeah. you know what? The beta milestone is coming up. So hopefully, after that, I'll get to play a little bit more. Yeah, the way that I think we both mode. tend to play games is it's a bit bit of feast or famine because I have this very addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Whenever I start playing a game, I just have to invest an obscene amount of hours in it until it's done. Like my brain just doesn't switch off, right? I got into that world, I got right. into the characters, like I wanna see the I wanna live in that and then okay, I can step away and like give myself some space. But, you know. Yeah. I I'm the same way, which is why I um I, I was so paranoid about starting like deep games in my PhD because it was like, nope, this is gonna F everything up. Why am I saying F? I've been swearing like a sailor the whole day. Anyway. Um, but I mean, so this is why I think like I have gravitated to shorter mm-hmm. games such that even if they like overtake me, then... It's for 10 hours max or something. Yeah. 10? What are you? Methuselah? I mean, I, I prefer... <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, that seems like a good place to call it, seeing as we are, have gone for two and a half hours. Um, so first off, thanks again, you guys, for joining us. This yeah. was a real pleasure. Yeah, it was um, a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, thank you absolutely. very much for having us. Uh, and we'd be happy to have you back. Yeah, um, definitely. This is a lot of fun. But, um, I know I you... a lot about music. As, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, 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 like Lucy said earlier, I, I could, I would gladly chat more music stuff and learn uh, yeah. a little more uh, for conversation at any time in the future. Um, but you did plug some of your socials because I asked for them earlier, but why don't we just uh, get some plugs in? <laughs> the name of the game is Recursive Ruin, but also... Yeah, so, uh, name of the game, Recursive Ruin. You can find it on Steam. Uh, definitely please follow and wishlist, uh, cause, uh, hopefully we'll get to make another game. You know, that's, that's the goal here. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. So Dr. Chad McKinney, Dr. Curtis McKinney, or Dr. Kurt McKinney. They didn't let me fit my whole name on there, people. Twitter, fix that. <laughs> we have the technology now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you can also follow Recursive Ruin on Twitter. Um, those are the main places I think to find us and we'll definitely you know you, you can talk to us and we put up things all the time and talk to people so. and check out the trailer because yeah. the trailer is cool yes uh, very best of luck for the for the launch and the build up to that like I hope we can get you on after the game launches maybe just yeah, do a complete post mortem with us yeah, yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh you know what I did forget I went straight to plugs. It's because you both had one beer, so obviously that's your beer of choice. I had two, though, uh, and I forgot that. Uh, but actually, do you have any last uh, comments on your beers? Um, if not, that's fine. But like, I would say I'll quickly go first. Yeah. Like, it, it very, it, it, it wasn't one of those where it's like, oh, I, you know, I was enjoying the conversation, but it wasn't like, oh, I need to, you know, I, I don't feel like drinking it all the time. It's, it's one that lasted like most of that that two and a half hour conversation because it was just so it wasn't heavy or overbearing in any way but it was just it, the the flavor and the taste it just lasted enough and it was just yeah it's a good beer it's um maybe a bit a bit oilier and a bit sweeter than i may usually enjoy and towards the end it was like 
Okay, it was like, you know, a bit of a, felt like a bit of a marathon, but, you know, <laughs> otherwise, it's, it's a really good beer. Come on, I make fantastic beers, so yeah. Yeah, um, for me, as far as uh, Damnation, uh, which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, I was actually drinking it in a Russian River goblet here. Oh, class. I'm a mega yeah. nerd. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, it was, it was like I said, uh, better than I had remembered, and it finished still very strong. Uh, I'm not sure it's better than Duval, but it, it is, I think, a, a very good um, Belgian-style ale. Um, yeah, quite enjoyed it. Recommend it if anybody happens to see it. Mm. I'll see that one. Out. Yeah, I was gonna say my uh, my sister's fam, my sister and brother in law, and my my niece who's almost two now, um, live in uh in Berkeley. Yeah. So mm. I'm always trying to hit up them up with like, and like I got some congratulatory beers left at my parents' place for um finishing my phd yeah. uh nice. and so it's like oh you realize you've opened up a can of worms because now you you've exposed yourself as a potential funnel <laughs> to get <laughs> tasty bay area beers um so yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to add some stuff to, to the wish list so to speak uh i had uh the hiver blonde beer um which was called the hiver blonde beer and then the uh patston Patsto Brewing, May Day, Citra Pale Ale. They both were very interesting and similar. Mostly be- similar, I say, because um, they're like standard beers with a twist. Um, and oddly, it was a bit floral on both ends. Uh, I really enjoyed the Patsto Brewing Citra Pale Ale um, as a, hey, if I'm in a pub in Cornwall, I know I will enjoy right. this beer, even if it's in <laughs> cask, despite the fact that I like keg beer because of my upbringing you'll be happy regardless yeah that's true um but i think i preferred the hiver blonde beer um i thought that the honey was they they just have the right balance of honey it was a good blonde that just got like accentuated and like that um like i call that call i describe that umbrella of of honey like i I, it just helped bring all some flavors together it added a sweetness but again it was very light uh, I, I was expecting like like a sugar bomb, and it wasn't that. And it was just really satisfying while still being a blonde, and it finished like a beer. Um, and I felt like the Citra Pale Ale from Padstow was up at British Pale Ale that like did some really interesting things with the the hop, um, but ultimately was it they didn't feel like they were melded as well it did and it finished kind of a little too light and a little, not beery enough for me and so it was just it was i mean again i really recommend it it just it wasn't quite as good of a cohesive a package and mostly it's like despite the fact that normally i would always aim for a second pale ale over a second blonde just because of my taste i would i would rather like i would easily have a second one of these and so that's usually my barometer of oh will i have a second <laughs> Would I want this again right now? That means it's probably my beer of the week. Um, so that's yeah. that's the one I've got. Um, cool. Uh, we've been uh, tanked up. We you can reach us at Tanked Up Cast on Twitter. Uh, Lucy at Juicy Loose Nine. Myself at the Omniarch. We're also on Instagram, though very <laughs> infrequently. Um, you can find all our podcast vods of. Um, 
of of let's plays whatnot and articles at outoflives.net or our youtube channel out of lives network or here on twitch out of lives network uh, um but yeah that's basically all the things drop us a line oh you can also email us here at tankedupcast at gmail.com um those are the things talk to us comment like subscribe all those things um and if you enjoy this app please let us know because we'd I mean, it'd be nice to know that you enjoyed this as much as we did, but we're probably going to have these guys on again. But just let's pretend that we need you to tell us that <laughs> just just for the interaction. Uh, this has been a really, really fun uh, and informative yeah. episode. I enjoyed meeting you guys. Thanks again. This has been Thank a blast. So Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And I really look forward to more Recursive Rain. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then the sequel, Recursive Pour. <laughs> Because when it rains, the recursive ruin. Yeah. Oh wait, right. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Recursive rain's a different game, isn't it? There's actually a game called Recursive Rain. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. Risk of rain. Risk. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Recursive ruin. That makes more sense. Uh, But I am gonna have to name the episode Recursive Pour now, just because of the mistake I've made. Uh, Anyway. Sense with the beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like my brain misfired into a misfire. (laughs) That was still a misfire. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, that's been us. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Uh, Bye. 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 www.outoflives.net